0: Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
2: Christmas comes early. Welcome everyone into BK and Ferrario and a happy Monday, everyone. Alex Ferrario with you. BK is out today. He will be back with us tomorrow. But instead, we get the Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, sitting in with us once again. And a perfect time to have Chris Kerber with us on today's show because there is so much hockey news to get into. And if you missed it last night, we found out that the NHL and the NHL Players Association has approved the return of hockey january 13th is when things will pick up the date that we've all been speculating over the season begins on january 13th for the teams that made the postseason january 3rd will be training camp the teams that didn't make the postseason will start their training camp on december 31st curbs christmas comes early big man because hockey is back and i am so
3: pumped you know what alex Uh, we knew that it was just going to be a matter of time and thankfully we have finally waited out that time and the storylines the opportunities the positives what will be negatives that you have to just take on as challenges and survive with uh i i i think it's fantastic i mean we're we're gonna get done with this show today at two o'clock we'll talk with chief at noon get his thoughts on how he's gonna crank things up and 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 then then the work's going to begin where we're just I mean, we're cranking out and getting ready for a game here uh, within a matter of weeks. And uh, it's exciting. It's great. and, And it's good to see things rolling in that direction.
2: Yeah, well, and that's the best thing, too. I mean, it is right around the corner to start things off with all of this. And as Curbs mentioned, Craig Berube, the Blues head coach, is going to join us at 12 o'clock. So here's a couple of the key things to take away. Here's some key dates, as I mentioned. December 31st are the training camps for the seven non-playoff teams. January 3rd are the actual training camps for the 24 teams that did make the postseason. The 13th is opening night. The trade deadline is on April 12th. The end of the regular season is May 8th. May 11th would be the Stanley Cup playoffs, beginning July 15th, the last possible day of the Stanley Cup final. So, Curbs, let me ask you this, because I was playing with some numbers last night, which is always a dangerous thing, you know when we're on the radio. Uh better 56, be playing with
3: that than something else.
2: That's very true, but it was the weekend. 56 games, Curbs, in 116 days. So, if my math serves me correctly, it's about one game for every two days that that basically these teams are going to be playing in. So this pardon the cliché is a sprint to the finish line, not a marathon anymore.
3: Well, and what makes it that is is not just the way the schedule is going to have to play out, but it's just the fact that it's 56 games rather than 82 games. And it's the fact that they're not going to have any preseason games. So you're the very first game I really believe that. I have not seen an advanced look at the schedule, Alex. I believe, though, that opening night could include Blues Colorado or Blues Vegas, right? (laughs) And so imagine that you haven't played hockey since August. Yes, you've been skating with some of your teammates. You're going to have a two-week camp, no primer games, and you're going to go into a head-to-head matchup with one of those two teams. If that happens from a schedule standpoint, That first head-to-head game is one of your eight matches against that team. It's head-to-head points that are critical. It's a four-point game on game one. So the other thing that we've seen, and you just have to look at history here, is the fact that in the strike or lockout shortened season of 94-95, in the lockout shortened season of 12-13, when they played a 48-game schedule, there are teams that in an 82 game schedule are pretty much out of the playoffs just because they don't have the team and the depth to compete over the long term in a sprint they can compete and so there is nothing more important than the start of this season here in terms of how you get out of the gate and how you handle those first 10 games it it could set a tone that is enormous
2: Yeah, well, and the competition is the part that everyone's talking about right now, Curbs. Of course, the Blues playing in the newly named West Division with the California teams, Anaheim, um, San Jose, L.A. You have Colorado and Vegas, like you mentioned. You have Arizona, and Minnesota is the last team that is in that division with the Blues. This is intriguing for me because if you would have played in the Central, so to speak, yes, it would have been a little bit easier of a division, but Look, the top four teams in each division make the postseason. And I think we both can agree Colorado and Vegas are not going to be easy. But Arizona, Minnesota, these California teams, they do cause the Blues issues every time you play against them. Now, a little bit different now because you're not doing those Western Conference road trips. You're basically just going to be on the West Coast for a extended period of time playing these teams. But it's no shoe-in that the Blues make the postseason. I mean, if it's top oh, four no. teams in the division, you got Colorado and Vegas. Yes, the Blues may be on paper the third best team, but from the way that they've played those teams in the past and for the way a 56-game schedule has set itself out, in my opinion, the Blues will have to start this season off fast if they want a shot at a postseason.
3: Listen, every t- Alex, I don't care what division you're in, every single team is going to have to start that way. And so let let's go to the beginning here and, and and look at these divisions just a little bit. The West versus the Central. Uh, I know fans are a little bit fired up about the start times of having more games in the West. I didn't I haven't seen anybody griping on social media about the level of competition. I'm seeing them griping about the start times. Right. Uh, first off, look, I checked with the folks at Fox Sports Midwest. The difference in ratings between games that have happened in the Eastern Time Zone versus games that have happened in the West is a negligible .2 on a TV rating. Now, look, home games in the Central Division or games in the Central Division do have a slightly higher rating, but it's it's not that big of a difference. And the reason I make that point is Blues fans are loyal. Blues fans have proven that they will watch the games. I would rather have eight more games played from the West Coast then no hockey at all right now. I would also rather have that the way these divisions are set up. Now, you're right. The Blues have gone to Anaheim when Anaheim has been down, and Anaheim can beat them. The Blues have gone to L.A. when L.A. has been down. We've gone to San – those are – that is typically a tough trip no matter what. But here's one of the big differences. Normally, when you're playing San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A., You typically tend to do that sometimes in a four- to five-day window. Now, and we'll talk about this later in the show, but if the schedule is set up where you're going to play two games in a city at a given time to reduce the amount of travel and help reduce the COVID risk, you're going out there and you're spending four days. I think it's a completely different scenario than playing in one city, flying to the next, going back-to-back, and then having one day off before you play the third one. Now, take that into account, then, that the those teams, from from where they are competition-wise, seem to be in a bit of a downswell or, or trying to come out of it like San Jose is. I still think the competition's going to be tough. But Alex, I look at that central division, and, and if Chicago were to manage to get a goaltender in a 56-game season, I think that's a shootout at the OK Corral, that central division. I mean, except for Detroit, and Detroit's going to wreak some havoc on some teams except for Detroit uh, right now, you're going, I mean, I talked to Pete Weber literally just about a half an hour ago about this. That central division is nasty. And I know you've got the heavy hitters in the West division here, but I think the fact that you're playing those kind of teams is actually going to lead to a better. You know know exactly what you're going to get right now, at least in terms of style of play from every team in the West. In that Central Division, you now have Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, and Florida, and Tampa that are all Eastern Conference teams. And we've seen those different styles from those different clubs. I like where the St. Louis Blues are right now.
2: I agree 100% with you on that one. The other thing, Curbs, that uh, is going to be interesting of how it works this season is the taxi squad. So the NHL basically laid out the formula of a 23-man roster for this upcoming season, which of course has to be the salary cap compliant, the 81 and a half million dollars. But other than that 23-man roster, you can have a four to six-man taxi squad, kind of like what baseball fans just saw with the satellite camps to where basically the four to six players on the taxi squad, if I'm understanding this correctly, Curbs, is they are going to be assumed as NHL roster players and they will be a part of the NHL roster. So this creates some interest because we've talked a lot about how guys like Jordan Kairou, Zach Sanford, Sammy Blay have this opportunity to take on a top nine role with this team. But now with a four to six man taxi squad and with games being basically every other day, this could be an opportunity for guys like an Austin Pogansky, a Clem Kostin, a uh, Jake Wallman, or maybe a Scott Perunovich, a Nico Mikla. It gives these guys an opportunity to get in the lineup more, and it will be really interesting of how Craig Berube and the coaching staff decides to kind of rotate players to make sure everyone's healthy.
3: You know, there's some interesting aspects to, to this At part of it, um, and, and I believe unless something's changed, and, and, and a lot of news and this stuff is kind of all breaking as you go, but unless something's changed, if a player is on a two-way contract and he's on your taxi squad, he'll be getting his minor league salary until you have to put him in a game, and you have to do a call up in the same type of fashion that you would in a regular situation. So, from that standpoint, your taxi squad doesn't hit your cap. It's not like you have to fit your taxi squad underneath that eighty-one and a half million dollar cap, which which is really important. But like your Klim Costin and it's Alexei Toropchenko, and they're playing over in the KHL right now. The American Hockey League doesn't start until, until February 4th. And now, again, I, I, haven't taught, I haven't talked to Craig and I haven't talked to, to Doug Armstrong about this yet, Alex. So this is just, this is just me thinking things out loud here. Right. I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder if you're better keeping those guys over in the KHL playing right now, where they're playing really? games. Where they're playing games. Now, I don't know what the process is. Maybe when you start, you have to bring them back. I don't know what those agreements have been. But if in the meantime you think you're healthy enough and you can and you can manipulate your taxi squad to where you're comfortable, I think those guys are better off playing. I, I think they're better. Well, I know they're better off playing than they are just being part of a taxi squad and not playing games. Now, how that works contractually and what they're allowed to do for the CBA with, with this situation, I don't know that yet. So I we'll have to figure that part out. But it'll be another interesting uh, – again, I keep going back to this, and you're probably going to hear me say this a lot over the course of the day today. I think the storylines are not only fascinating, but just the sheer number of them because it's so unique and so different to what we've seen that it's dizzying and fun.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like the Let old Tom ask-
3: Twister at Six Flags.
2: <laughs> yeah, throwing up a lot on that one, though. Let me ask you this one, though, Curves. Uh, because of this taxi squad and because of the amount of roster players that you'll have, do you believe this makes it more or less likely that the Blues would spend that extra salary cap space because – Matt Larkin of, of uh, Sports Illustrated put a piece out the other day saying how he feels the best scenario for the Blues would be to get Mike Hoffman. And even Pierre Lebrun uh, put a piece out last night talking about how there has been at least conversation between these sides. Alex,
3: I, I don't think the taxi squad situation or any of that really impacts Doug's decision on that. He, he, has, he has that space. He's going to have the support of ownership. And when he feels it's right to use it or if it is the right time and on what player to use it, he will. Uh, there's a benefit to not using it early on, um, There, you know, and and how this plays out. So just because you have it doesn't mean you need to use it. The, the other thing that has to shake out here, there are some teams that have to get cap compliant. Now, there's many different ways to get cap compliant, but will it make other players available? Is there Are there trades available that actually give you better cost certainty um, and, and and roster help that you need. I, I don't know, but I got to think that somewhere along the line, there's still going to be a window here before the season starts where we see some of that player movement now that teams kind of know what we're going to be dealing with. And I think it's been prudent that they don't do anything. I think that's why you've seen a stall here. And, and now now it'll move forward. Can the Blues use a Mike Hoffman? 100% yes. Can they use him even if Vladimir Tarasenko's healthy? Absolutely. It's just more depth. And I'm perfectly fine with it because you're in that championship window. So you go all out now. I'm all for that. But at the same time, I just don't know that it's a move that you have to make right now because I think there are going to be other options to be able to look at.
2: Well, the only thing we care about right now is the fact that hockey is back on January 13th. And you'll hear all of that St. Louis Blues action right here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. It's 1115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Chris Kerber and Tanner Hendrickson on the Born T-Bone. I'm Alex Ferrario. The Blues also made some news yesterday. Well, the Blues didn't, but some reports are making news for the Blues. Do we have a new captain for St. Louis? Curbs and I will discuss next here on 101 ESPN.
4: They, they play for the team more than themselves. Like The, the great leaders always see, see it from the, the team's perspective, and then and then, they, then their perspective secondly. You, you, you get great players that can put up personal stats. But might not play, you know. And then I don't want to disparage those guys, but it might not be for willing really to do everything for the team. I, I I find the great players. I'll always look at the game from the team's perspective first.
2: That was Doug Armstrong, Blues President of Hockey Operations on the Fast Lane last week, talking about the captaincy for the St. Louis Blues and what the team is looking for, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Alex Ferrario. BK is out today. He will be back with us tomorrow. But, uh, Curbs, it looks like we might have a new captain for the St. Louis Blues. Now, it's not official from the organization, but Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, our Blues Insider here on 101 ESPN, put the piece out yesterday saying all signs pointing towards Ryan O'Reilly being named the next captain of the St. Louis Blues. And, Curbs, this doesn't surprise me. I'm sure it doesn't surprise you either if it is true because we've seen Ryan O'Reilly in just the two years that he has been here uh, make just as much of an impact as other captains have had over the years in terms of on ice, in terms of kind of what the Blues have with him in practices. Um, Ryan O'Reilly is kind of the perfect image of a captain, and I think the Blues and the players are going to be thrilled uh, with number 90 wearing the C. It does make all the sense in the world, doesn't it? I mean,
3: I we could justify – and we've talked plenty about this, putting the C on Colton Pareco, putting the C on Brayden Shen, you know, uh, or others for that matter. But kind of wild when you think about it, that if Ryan O'Reilly becomes the next captain of the St. Louis Blues, that when Doug Armstrong made this trade, he just traded for the next captain. I mean, and, <laughs> and at the time he made the trade, he's not thinking I need to trade for a captain because you're thinking Alex Petrangelo is going to be, you know, still part of the long-term future of the St. Louis Blues. But it's a third team for Ryan O'Reilly. He's put up 138 points in 153 games for the St. Louis Blues. He just crossed the 800-game played plateau. He's been in every different situation and how things have gone. And, you know, the reality, Alex, is it does make sense. He has taken that leadership role from his first practice when he's on the ice after the game or after practice with all the young kids. He leads by example. He's, his play has been stellar. It's been it's it, it's just one of those kind of no-brainer situations uh, for the St. Louis Blues. And it's a smart move and, and, and a very good one for the St. Louis Blues right
2: now. So Craig Berube, who is going to join us in the 12 o'clock hour, talked a lot about Ryan O'Reilly and his importance with the club. And here's a little bite of the head coach speaking of number 90's importance.
4: He's a huge part of our team. Um, we really focus on a team uh, – team first mindset and he leads that I think you know he's a real good leader that way he understands that uh, the team has to come first um, and it's you know in a role we ask of a player or you know just leadership uh, on and off the ice a lot of things uh, play into it but he's a very competitive player so you know he's provided a real good leadership that way.
2: You know, we I've seen this, Curbs, and you know this. You've been around the team a lot longer than I have, but it doesn't just come down to what a player does on the ice and naming them captain. It's really what they do off of the ice. And O'Reilly has been talked about how he makes life easier for the coaches in the locker room with players, much like Petrangelo did as captain for the St. Louis Blues in terms of Craig Berube saying, hey, look, I don't need to walk into the locker room after a bad game. These guys got this. But it's also kind of what players do away from the ice, away from their teammates in terms of the community and the fan support and showing up at events. And you want to make sure that a player that takes on the role of captain can handle that as well as handle the on-ice activities. And Ryan O'Reilly was doing that with a letter A. So I think it made the decision of Ryan O'Reilly being the captain, if that is to be, an easy decision because of all of those stipulations.
3: You know, when Doug Armstrong was talking about Alexander Steen and what it means for the younger players to see how Alex made taking care of his body a priority, how he would even spend his own money to fly people in for the care of his own body and the different approaches and how that has rubbed off on guys. That's some of that leadership off the ice, away from the ice that you're talking about. I think what you also have to keep in mind here, Alex, Is where this team is. This team is still going to do the leadership by committee thing. Vladimir Tarasenko, David Perron, Braden Shen, Colton Pareko, Marco Scandella, Justin Falk, just to name a few. All right. I mean, Kyle Clifford, he's got two Stanley Cups to his name. All those guys are there. You're going to have to see the continued growth of an Oscar Sundquist, who is really the engine of this team in a lot of ways. And Ivan Barbashev. I mean, all this is going to play in it. Tyler Bozak, can't. I mean, you can't leave his name off that list, right? So you've got a team where you've got the veteran experience where, and Ken Hitchcock referred to this a lot. He goes, the team will be ready to start to win when the players take it over. And that happened under Hitch, and it continued – kind of to where they got to in winning the championship under Berube, that that the players take it over. They know. And, and, and if the coaching staff has that trust and you've got that ability to communicate like Ryan O'Reilly does, then you know you're going to have an open communication. And that is some synergy that is critical to winning every day in the National Hockey League. I think the other real important part for this hockey team that, that I think you realize when and if this does happen is that, the guy that has the ability to also take the pressure off your other teammates. So you, you're going to lay some stinkers this season. There's going to be some real unique challenges. You're going to have to answer questions for He's got the ability to compartmentalize and he's got the ability to handle it, you know, and, and that's, you're going to need now more than ever. And so if, and when that uh, announcement is made by the St. Louis blues, that's, I, I think it's a great one. I'm going to tell you one other quick story, if if you don't mind. So, yeah. you know, he was, uh, Ryan O'Reilly last year received the Visionary Award at the Foundation Fighting Blindness uh, Dining in the Dark event, which is a terrific fundraiser every year. It'll be an online uh, uh, event this year in fe- late February. But Ryan O'Reilly was honored there. Um, Jack Morris, who's the son of uh, my good friend Jason Morris, who runs the foundation. Uh, Jack has kind of learned to play the guitar. And part of the thing that they did on stage was Jack, who suffers from uh, retinitis pigmentosa, Jack has been learning the guitar. Ryan O'Reilly went over to the house and kind of practiced with him, and then the two of them got up and performed in front of you know, 700 people at, at this banquet. Well, the Lumineers were in town, and Ryan O'Reilly, you know, being a huge music fan, had tickets with his wife, who was there as well, to go see the Lumineers down at uh, down at the the, the Theater. So, at at one point, the, kind of when the when the Function ended. He needed to go and and get out of there so he could go to the concert. Right. Kind of had a plan how we were going to get him out of there. So he didn't get mobbed by the fans. (laughs) He stayed. He signed every autograph. The demand for kept coming through and I'd walk over to him and I'd say, hey, I can get you. He goes, yeah, you know what? We're good. And he was honest. I'm not kidding you when I'm telling you he was one of the last 10 people to leave that banquet room that night. Missed missed the concert, did all that, and just stayed there for the fans and the people with the foundation, and was one of the last 10 people. Off-ice leadership, commitment to this community is huge, and that guy has it too.
2: Yeah, and that's what you want. Real quick, we got about two minutes here, Curbs, but you you talk about a transition now. You have no Steen. You have no Petrangelo. uh, You have no Bo You have no Jake Allen. This was the leadership core for this team for a very long time. Now, they've had Schwartz and Tarasenko and Shen, and Pareko, and all of these players that are on the roster, but Doug Armstrong had an interesting quote to Jeremy Rutherford. Really, what we need to do now is hope that the next tier of players have gained the knowledge from Bowmeister Steen of what it takes to lead. I'm not big on you need to verbalize. This is a group of guys that aren't the most vocal players. They're not the kind of players that get in players' faces if things aren't going well, but they are a group of guys who bring everyone closer together, and I think that is going to be uh, the biggest need for a shortened season like this that's going to be played just as much on the road as it is at home. The least vocal of the group was Jay Bollmeister.
3: But it's like EF that's Hutton. True. As soon as he said something, people listened. You know, <laughs> Mike, Yo. at one point, the Blues laid a stinker. Mike, Yo came in, was all hacked off and he told every player, he goes, every one of you sit in your stall until the media is done. There's no skirt in this one tonight. One of the players yeah. in the locker room got up and kind of like huffed and said, yeah, well, yeah right. Goes to walk that way. Bollmeister stood up. He said, sit down. Everybody sit down. And so even the quiet ones have to speak and show that leadership, but how they do it is different. And the other key, and Steve, I touched on this, Alex, and you know, this, look, you, you, you can be as big a leader, a good, a leader as vocal, whatever you want to be, but it still starts with, can you get it done on the ice first? And you've got to be able to do that. And, and, and a guy like Ryan O'Reilly has, especially since his time with the St. Louis blues has shown absolutely nothing but greatness yeah. when it comes to that.
2: And I know a lot of people are asking about the who's going to wear the A's for the season. We'll get into that in questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, Air Comfort Service text line 65780 if you have questions for Curbs and I. But coming up next, the holidays, of course, are here. And, of course, 2020 has been rough. But Big Brothers Big Sisters is an interesting topic that I wanted to get into and Curbs tossed this idea at me We're going to chat with Becky Hatter the president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Missouri Talking about the impact that they've gone through in 2020 and talking about the impact that you can do for some of their littles So we'll get into that with Becky Hatter next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN Along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, running the board for us tonight, today, tonight, this afternoon, it all doesn't matter. They all run together, but it is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN and excited to go out to our Brown and croupin celebrity line now and welcome in the president and CEO of Big Brother, Big Sister of Eastern Missouri. Uh, she is Becky Hatter and Becky, thank you so much for taking some time out with us today to talk because I know the holidays are here. I know. 2020 has been rough, but it's it's going to be fun to talk a lot about a little positivity that I know has been going on with uh, Big Brother, Big Sister.
1: Thank you so much for having me here. Happy to be here.
2: Yes, definitely. So let's start with this one, Becky, because you sent us over a list of things to get into today. Mm -hmm. And I think the best part about it is on this list, it says in big green letters, the good news. And there's a lot of good news. So give our listeners an idea of what's been going on with Big Brother, Big Sister uh, in 2020.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think everybody can understand maybe because of the model of big brothers and big sisters, everything that we do is uh, in person. So it's been kind of hard to figure out how to make our pairs, make our matches, um, making sure that our 1500 volunteers are seeing their little brothers and little sisters face to face. So there have been a lot of difficulties and certainly answer questions. But here's some really good news. Um, we thought that we would be able, despite COVID, to recruit uh, around 600, 610 um, volunteers, and we hit that goal in the middle of um, December. So every volunteer application that comes in now is just a bonus for kids. I think the other thing is we need men so desperately, and uh, we're really excited that in the middle of COVID in 2020, the men are stepping up. We're 2% over our Uh, Our goal, And I guess the last number I just throw out right now is, although we haven't been able to make as many matches because of the obvious, uh, you know, barriers and challenges, the one thing that I can tell you is the relationships that we do have are lasting longer than ever. And by the way, St. Louis needs to just, you know, give itself a big round of applause because we have the longest lasting matches in the country, but we're up 4% uh, this year.
3: Becky, you, you know that this is such a, a personal thing for me. Uh, it's funny to listen to you talk and just answer Alex's question. I'm sitting here and I kind I get emotional when I think about this stuff because uh, I've shared some of the stories. Of course, I've been a big brother here in St. Louis and also when I was working in the miners a long time back in, in Springfield, Massachusetts. And I, I just I want to cut right to the chase with you, and, and let's go back to that. We need big brothers. We need more men to step up and be a mentor. And it's not hard. It's easy. It really, now look, I don't mean, it, it doesn't mean it's not without its challenges, but it's easy. We're just asking that, Hey, look, dedicate four hours of your time over the course of a month, an hour a week or two hours every other week. And, oh, wow. and the personal impact you can have on a young man is enormous and you don't I've got an amazing story to tell uh, about my match in in Springfield that I'm telling you 20 years later you don't know the impact you can have this is this is something we need to do and I encourage everybody out there you know that every every guy out there take a look at this and become a mentor it's needed and we've got littles that need matches
1: yeah, I mean, Chris, you, you know, I, I can't put a finer point on that, you know. And the only other thing I would add to it is, yes, you know, just yes, we need men. Yes, it is a, a it's around four hours a month minimum, but we all have that um, that time to do that. And here's the thing about what makes it easy: um, not only can you work that kind of time in, but your job is to listen and guide. And um, affirm their significance to tell a young person that they matter, that they have um, they can do whatever they want to do. But then to go take the next step and listen to them and to say, what are you interested in? What do you want to do? And help them become the person they want to become. You don't have to be a superhero. You just have to be a caring adult. And um, you can do that in the car. You can do that at a ball game. You can do that just hanging out barbecuing. This stuff is simple if we just don't complicate it.
3: Becky, how do we get uh, people that are interested to sign up and go through the process? And if you don't mind, to just, just to inform, inform them a little bit of what the process to be approved is. Because you guys do have a process that's very important to make sure that the matches are as good as they can be, which creates that long-term scenario you're so proud of.
1: Yeah. So just to begin with, if you're interested, the best way to apply is to go to our website, which is www.bbsemo.org. That's three B's uh, E M O. So that's the best way to go. And our process is um, thoughtful. It does take a little bit of time because we want to get to know who you are. We obviously also do the same type of um, conversation back with our families and our littles. We go to the home of all of our families. So we want to get to know each party so that we can build the best relationship. And, again, what we're looking for is we certainly need consistency. We ask you to make a one-year commitment to a young person to see them four hours a month. We typically like to see it done twice a month so that you don't have a lot of time in between as you're building a relationship. And, again, your job is to be a mentor, a coach. You're not trying to walk into a child's life and, you know, turn them into a mini you. Um, you've you you're where you are but this young person has ideas about where they want to go and it's our job to guide them so we do an interview we do background checks of course and then all along the way in the relationship we have a full-time support staff 24 hours a day if you have any challenges need coaching uncertainty um, we're there to help you 24 hours a day
2: Again, we're talking with Becky Hatter, a Brown and Crouppen celebrity line here on 101 ESPN. She's the president and CEO of Big Brother and Big Sister of Eastern Missouri. Uh, Becky, my final question for you. You mentioned kind of some of the hurdles of 2020. We all know it has been a rough year, uh, but I would imagine a pandemic makes things a little bit difficult. What have some of those hurdles been for you guys at Big Brother, Big Sister?
1: Well, I mean, outside of raising dollars, so let's just put that on the table. But the other one is, um, you know, making sure that our volunteers and our kids and their families um, were staying safe. And so we had to make a lot of adjustments with the way they could see each other. For for the few, first few months, they weren't able to see each other. But later on, we were able to do kind of uh, meet at the on the sidewalk. Everybody brought a chair and sit six feet apart. And now we've figured out some of the things about how you can get in the cars. But the other thing is so many of our parents are either essential workers or they've been laid off for their jobs. So we have managed to work with over 400 families to help them with unemployment, food, housing, negotiating um, with landlords. We've done everything we can to stabilize our kids and our families.
3: Listen, I, I uh, f- folks that are out there, I- I'm telling you that this is an organization that if you have thought about or wondered about or have heard about, just do a little more digging in and look and then and volunteer some time. And look, if you're a parent out there, it, you can make this work. I mean, I'm, I'm a dad of three. You, you can make this work, and, and, and it's possible, and it sends a great message to your own kids to, to see this. But the, the ability to mentor, look, again, we don't know the impact uh, that, that you're going to have on a kid necessarily in terms of what it means all the way down the road. But who knows the greatness that could come out of this. And and there's plenty of examples of it. And the relationships you build last for a lifetime. Becky, I love the work that you guys do. You know that. However we can help, uh, we definitely will. Thank you for giving us some time and and letting us uh, hopefully get the word out about Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Eastern Missouri for for more people. And uh, we'll keep seeing if we can just keep digging into that waiting list you have and get more matches for
2: you.
1: Well, thank you so much. And everyone, have a happy holiday.
2: All right, awesome. Becky. Thank Thanks, you Becky, very we much. I appreciate that. If you want to follow them on Twitter, too, it's at B-B-B-S-E-M-O. Big brother, big sister of Eastern Missouri. We'll take hey, a break Alex,
3: here on B-K. In, yeah, what's up? If uh, Later on the show, we have some time. I'm going to share a story about what happened to the little brother that I had uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts, when I was in there. It it actually, uh, the the road he has gone on is about as low as you can go to where he is now is is something phenomenal.
2: Yeah, definitely we'll get into that a little bit later but we got questions and answers coming up next 65780 is our air comfort service text line you got questions for Curbs and I we'll dig into that next here on 101 ESPN
0: You've got questions we may have the answers maybe text now to 65780 it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN
2: Two o'clock later on this afternoon, on the fast lane, you'll be able to hear the Alexander Steen media availability. Of course, we announced. You did.
3: Uh, you gotta mute the Zoom and unmute the mic. Mute the Zoom,
2: unmute the mic. Do we get it now? I I, I got me. How about now? Hey, Alex, I'm unmuted on my
3: end. What about you?
2: I'm good to go here. (laughs)
3: Well, you got to like. Yeah.
0: Get more sports talk more often right here. This is 101 ESPN. Sports talk for St.
3: Louis. It's more important than ever to remember that you and your business are not alone. At 2060 Digital, our team of over
0: 100 digital marketing experts will help you maintain, build, and grow your customer
3: relationships. We'll develop a digital marketing strategy supporting your business to navigate this unpredictable economy. With 2060 Digital by your side, your
0: business is in a better position to ride out the storm. For more information or a free
3: audit, contact us at 2060digital.com.
2: try this again back in on bk and ferrario t-bone give me the thumbs up we good buddy we good there we go see that's technology for you at its finest i made fun of curves earlier because he muted his mic Uh, that's karma to me and we all know what (laughs) karma truly is questions and answers here on bk and ferrario air comfort service text line 65780 Um, Alexander Steen will be speaking to the media at two o'clock later on this afternoon. Of course, Steen announcing his retirement last week. We carried that press conference from Doug Armstrong. So at two o'clock today to open up the fast lane, uh, you'll be able to hear Alexander Steen here on 101 ESPN speaking with the media about his retirement. So Curves, let's start with that from the 314 on questions and answers. Um, Without Steen, without Petro, and if O'Reilly is the captain, who do you both envision wearing the A's for the upcoming season?
3: This one's pretty simple to me. It'll come down to it'll come down to Vladimir Tarasenko when he's back in the lineup. It'll come down to Braden Shen, uh, Colton Pareko, and then I think you also have uh, have Schwartz, Peron, uh, and and Justin Falk. Uh, it, to me, are the ones in there, and maybe even Tyler Bozak, depending on the game and who's in and out of the lineup you know, on a given night for whatever reason. So that that to me is kind of my, I guess that's how I view the leadership group. Like if I were to name that this is your leadership group of this team, those would be the guys that are it.
2: Now, do you see them doing the rotation of a curve what they used to do with Hitchcock where you have some guys wear A's on the road, some guys wear A's at home, kind of going back and forth. Because I know Craig Berube got away from that, and he stuck with just two A's throughout the season. Yeah, I, I could see both ways working. I, I just don't – because, again, when we're, when we're
3: talking about a leadership group, I, I just don't know that that matters. And, frankly, in a team like this, I think the only reason that – the only time that the C really matters is if you give it to the wrong guy, you know, and 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 it becomes a problem, which is not going to be the case here. So um, I, I think the, the advantage when you sometimes have a couple guys on the road versus home is you, you pull more guys in. I think from a visual perspective, too, but like I said, I'm not sure that it's going to matter all that much with this hockey team.
2: From the 636, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN, Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Guys, did you see the Yadier Molina post on Instagram over the weekend? What are your thoughts? Now, Curbs, I don't know if you saw this from Yadier Molina, but uh, I still feel like he is is trolling – um, the fan base here in St. Louis, of course, still being a free agent, he put a picture out of him in a Cardinals uniform, but the text underneath it said, "Where do you all want to see me play next season?" It's the, Are you it's buying the into the troll? Uh, no, it's
3: the benefit of social media. You, they they could have some fun with it, and I think that's exactly what he's having with it. I mean, it. it I don't take it one way or another. I don't think it's going to impact one way or another whether or not he stays or goes. And uh, and I'm still of the belief that I hope he stays. So, you know, I, I think it's just a guy having some fun with it. And, and I look at it as, as nothing but that, you know, as a matter of fact, I replied St. Louis. I mean, if you're asking, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, you know, so I would uh, I, I think it's I think it's great. And, and I think it's fun. And I, I look nothing beyond that. I man, that that whole situation is such an intriguing one. And it goes back to what you and I talked about last week Alex where you know I I think it comes down a bit to that identity crisis that I think the St. Louis Cardinals have right now in terms of what they really are and what they're going to be I'm not sure that the next guy yet is better and frankly I still think he's a guy that you want to pay a ticket for and go down and see play and and I think that's important too and so uh I I also think that man it's I know it's just so rare I just As a Cardinal fan, I want to see Yadier Molina finish his career with the Cardinals. And I don't think him finishing his career with the Cardinals is going to hurt this franchise in any way. I think Yadier Molina now is still an impactful enough player, very different than if you had Albert Pujols now trying to play first base, in in all honesty.
2: Well, we also know that Yachty is a huge Blues fan, so Curbs commenting on his Instagram post might be the selling point of getting Yachty or Molina back in St. Louis.
3: Uh, Hey, if he wants to come, you know, fill in on a couple games, if we end up in a COVID situation with goalies and we just got to strap some skates on him, you know, we'll put him in there. You know, and and the moment we do, I'm getting Paulo Asensio to come in and help broadcast the game.
2: (laughs) One more before we get out of here. We got Craig Berube coming up next. Real quick, Air Comfort Service text line from the 618 Fellas, did you see the news about Illinois' football new or new football head coach? Yes, we did. Curbs, we talked about this on Friday. Brett Bielma now taking over as the head coach for the Fighting Illini. Uh, not so much in terms of what he brings to the team, but more so what it does for the local athletic side. We talked about Mizzou being on the uprights with Eli Drinkwitz. All of the college basketball right now is trending in the right direction. A former head coach who didn't have success in Arkansas but has won the Big Ten coach of the year multiple times this could be huge for the fighting Illini in terms of bringing them back to um, being on top of people's minds in the college football season
3: Uh, one going back to the the first part of that yeah I agree I think it would be great that when we talk about the local colleges I think I think we should throw Illinois in there and, and nothing's better than if you got Illinois basketball going at the same time, you got Mizzou basketball in the same time slew and even on the football front now with, you know, Mizzou being in the sec and you know you still have the big 10 aspect there for Illinois. I I'm, I'm telling you, I like the fact that I, I like this. I like the hire because of the experience in the Midwest and you've got to have that experience of recruiting in the Midwest to help you get better and because he's got a track record in some outlying areas outside of just the region of Illinois, that's going to help, I think, bring some talent in and he'll be able to build quicker from it. And I, and I hope it works. It, you know, I, I was hoping it would work with Lovey Smith there. I, I, I love the person of Lovey Smith and what, what he stood for. And I'm, it's sad to see that it didn't work out there for him. But I think this is a step in the right direction for Illinois.
2: Yeah, and I'm excited about the prospect of the next couple of seasons having Illinois and Mizzou being on the top of people's minds locally when it comes to college football. He's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. BK At is Park out is today. Listen. He will be back with us tomorrow. We'll come back. Craig Barubi, the Blues head coach, joins us next here on 101 ESPN. In on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It is 12:02. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jeweler, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. No BK today. Chris Kerber sitting in for Brandon Kylie. Tanner Hendrickson running the board for us this afternoon. We head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome in the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. After we find out yesterday that hockey is coming back on January 13th, Craig, great to talk to you this afternoon, sir. Uh, I'm assuming Christmas came early for you, just like it did for Curbs and I yesterday, when we found out that January 13th is the start date.
4: Yeah, no, we're excited. Obviously, uh, getting getting back to playing hockey, and uh, you know, guys are guys are ready. <clears throat> Our guys have been here, you know, skating, getting ready, and uh, everybody's excited.
3: Craig, you and I talked after the bubble situation, and one of the things that you mentioned. When you when you said that you were looking back on it, and you you were saying you'd hope that we had more guys kind of in town early and kind of prepping like some of the other teams did a little bit more in advance. Are, are you excited to see the fact that that has happened here, and almost like that was a learning curve on how to get ramped up quicker right now?
4: Yeah, definitely. I think you know our guys; they've been skating here as a you know as a team for a while, and you know guys are training hard, <clears throat> so everybody I think. Really, uh, you know, understood what happened in, in the bubble last last season. Uh, very disappointed, obviously. And, uh, you know, preparation is so important in, in this game, and as it is in, in all sports. But, you know, your preparation, it starts before training camp. And we all know that. You know, in normal years, guys are coming into training camp they're all ready to go. And then you got a month of camp. So, and this is different yet because camp's going to be short and you're not going to have exhibition games. So, you know, we're going to have to really uh, get prepared within that, you know, the 10 10 days of camp we have.
2: Craig, you were, you were an assistant uh, coach in the NHL during that lockout season where it was 48 games. And that one was kind of like a sprint to the finish line, of course, with uh, 48 games in a short amount of time. Uh, what kind of difference is going to be with this one that's more games but it seems like it's going to be a lot more played in a short amount of time
4: oh well, yeah there's a lot of games and in, in, in a short amount of time so you're going to need bodies that's a that's really going to be really important for sure hopefully you know you could stay you know injury free uh, you know to some extent but um you know, that's that's all going to play into it. You know, rest and, and all that stuff is going to be really important. You know, <clears throat> going back to that 48-game one, that's a little bit different than this one because, you know, you played in your conference. Uh, this one's only in your division. So we're playing each team eight times. You know, there there's going to be some pretty good rivalries going on for sure. And uh, you're going to know your, you're gonna, you're really going to know your opposition as good as you've ever known them because you're, that's all you're focusing on and you're playing. So it'll be a little bit different, but uh, that rest and, and, and trying to stay injury-free will be really important.
3: What does it mean for you guys as coaches and a coaching staff to know that, okay, at least from a preparation standpoint right now, you are going in to prepare for seven teams?
4: Well, you can really dial it in um like i said you know you can you can take these teams and really dissect them you know as much as you want it's it's definitely a lot easier uh in that way pre-scouting uh than it is in normal years you know you're, you're traveling all over you're playing east west everywhere so uh, you don't get to see a lot of these teams a lot of times um when you within a normal season but for this season coming up we're going to see these teams plenty so we're really going to know our opposition very well
3: you know from a travel standpoint being in the west uh and and again i keep trying to say this to people but like if you're in the central a flight to tampa or miami is about as long sometimes as one out west for so for with where st louis is but having said that when in a normal situation the blues would go out West and you'd play San Jose, Carolina, or I'm sorry, San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim, maybe Phoenix in there. And you always seem to be playing those in like a three games in four or five days scenario. And which I think is added to the difficulty of traveling out West along with the time zone change. But now in the scenario that's been proposed where you might go play two games in a city before you go to the next city, does that actually kind of help the adjustment of playing out West and time zone changes and how you can approach those games?
4: Yeah, I think so. You're going to go to a, you know, you're going to go to Arizona. You're going to play them two games, say in three nights, okay? Then you're going to go to Anaheim again. You're going to play, you know, those two games in three nights. You're you're going to get some back-to-backs in there at some point, <clears throat> which is fine. But I think you know you're you're in one place for for a, a few days. You know what I mean? Then you go to the next city. You're there for a few days. So it, it's different that way. So I think, you know, the tra- travel. Well, you know, traveling out west when you're out there, you're you're there for a significant amount of time and you're in one place for for a, a good amount of time. So that's going to make it a little bit easier I think than normal scenarios. We're talking with Craig Berube, the St.
2: Louis Blues head coach here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. You're home for the St. Louis Blues. He's on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Craig, the taxi squad has been something that a lot of people have been talking about. And from what we learned yesterday, it seems like the teams will have the option of having four to six players on that taxi squad. I would imagine for any team, including yourselves, this is going to be beneficial because you mentioned it. You're going to need bodies when you're playing the same teams in the short amount of time that you're going to be playing so this taxi squad really helps out the Blues in terms of having those players available at any time.
4: Yeah, definitely. You're going to need players and, you know, it's important to keep those guys sharp and ready to go because they're going to be used. There's no doubt about it in my mind. They're going to be used. Um so it's it's going to be really important.
3: Craig, we we've often referred to Alexander Steen as in a lot of ways over his 13 years with the Blues as as the conscience of this of this team. And in some ways, maybe the conscience of the organization. What have you seen from whether it be Colton Pareko, Braden Shen, Tyler Bozak, Vladimir Tarasenko, Jaden Schwartz, David Perron, the whole list of Justin Falk, Marco Scandella. A whole, what have you seen from these other guys that gives you confidence that kind of that mantle of leadership shifting from a group that included Steen, Bo and Petrangelo to this group can be a seamless one.
4: Well, I think that, you know, when you're around guys like Steen and um, Angelo and Bolmeister for a significant amount of time and you win with these guys as, you know, your leaders and players on your team, you know, you learn from them. You learn what it takes to uh, be a real good leader, a pro, all the little things that go along with it. So I think our guys are uh, fortunate in that aspect of being around those guys and learning from them. Um, they've done a great job. I think they've left um, our organization. They left it in a better spot, um, which is great. Um, those, those guys are um, not only real good hockey players, but real good leaders in the locker room on the ice, you know, and I think our guys learned from them. So, Our guys, you know, they pay attention to all those guys on a day-to-day basis and what what they do and how they handle themselves. And um, our guys have a lot of respect for those guys. So I think our guys learned uh, from, you know, real good guys. And, uh, you know, that that gives us confidence that uh, they're going to be good leaders.
3: Craig have you seen when when you're able to peek through the window as guys are skating around a little bit? have you seen some things from uh from a Jordan Cairo and some of the younger players that uh really encourages you in terms of steps they're continuing to progress in the right direction?
4: yeah, for sure well, you know I just you know when I see them coming to uh the rink here uh when they got here and the shape they're in already that really shows me a lot. They know that last year wasn't good enough. They know that they got to get better. They know they got to be in better shape and they've done that so far. So, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's just slowly getting better. Like, so they're going to be better players this year. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Uh, I think, you know, Thomas, Cairo, Blay, Sanford, these young guys are going to keep improving year in, year out. And I, I don't, I expect them to be better this year.
2: We got a couple more questions with the Blues head coach, Craig Berube, who's with us here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Craig, the reports are out there, at least yesterday, from Jeremy Rutherford, that Ryan O'Reilly is going to be named the next Blues captain. Not to ask you to speculate on if he is the captain or not, but from what you've seen over these last two years of O'Reilly as a leader on and off the ice, what makes you believe that uh, that, that he's ready for a bigger leadership role with this team?
4: Well, I kind of went over that. I think, like, a lot of our guys uh, are ready for that, you know. Um, And he's he's just one of them. If you look at the way he works day in and day out on the ice, off the ice, you know, we all see it. We all see him, how much extra time he spends out on the ice uh, doing extra. And you watch, you know, you watch how many guys are staying out there with him now. (laughs) You know, that's just leadership and uh you know so you don't really have to look much past that
3: hey in this covid situation craig especially when you when you deal with the goaltending perspective of any team in the nhl i think nhl teams should see if they could get a hold of the pope mobile from the vatican and make sure that their goaltenders are just traveling to and from everything in that vehicle so at least <laughs> until vaccines and everything get done the goalies stay safe goaltending is going to be a real interesting aspect of this uh, of this 56 game stretch isn't it
4: well no doubt it's it's huge uh you're gonna need both your goalies and you know hopefully not three <laughs> you know there's a good op- good chance you're gonna need a third you know and uh it's a good point by you i mean keeping those guys healthy and safe is going to be so critical
3: what um, what can you tell us about Billy Huso and the kind of the scouting report that you've heard uh, over the last uh, year or two on him and, and and what you're seeing?
4: Yeah, well, I had Billy in the minors as a rookie. Uh, you know, I know him pretty well. He Billy's a t- talented goalie. He's got great size in the net. He he plays big in the net. Um, he's going to get in the way of a lot of shots. You know, that's a, you know that's a big kind of the the way I can describe him. You know, he's going to get in the way of a lot of shots. He's a talented goalie. Um, You know, I think that, um, you know, he's excited about getting an opportunity to play in the NHL this year, and he's going to play a big role. So, you know, we're excited, too. Uh, You know, he's been down in the minors the last three years and learning and and, and working on his game. And, uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, he, he can perform at a high enough level to be a real successful goalie up here for us.
2: Hey Craig, before we let you go, uh, you talked about how these rivalries are going to be built up within these divisions. Of course, the Blues playing in the West. But I'm curious, because you played for Calgary, you played for Toronto, what do you think this Canadian division is going to be like? Because I would imagine playing all of these teams nine or ten times is going to create a lot of hatred between each other.
4: Oh, definitely. That Canadian division, it, that'll be a, a fantastic division. I think Canada will be super excited to, to watch that hockey. Um, You know, just, you know, you know, playing Toronto playing, say, you know, Montreal, how many times, you know, playing the Edmonton Oilers uh, with them, great players on that team, how many times that that Canadian side is is real competitive. You know, if you look at Toronto, uh, obviously have been a good team for the last two, three years and probably going to be even better this year. Montreal Canadians improved their team drastically this year. Uh, with Carey Price and that that gives them a you know a great opportunity to win a lot of games Ottawa Senators are getting better Edmonton Oilers are a good team we all know that with the Superstars they have in their team Winnipeg Jets have been a real good team Vancouver Connects are an up and coming team had a great run last year I thought really uh, you know took some steps in the way they play the game and uh, and, and winning so it's a tough it's going to be a real tough division out there
2: Well, Craig, it's great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking some time out this afternoon and hopping on with us. I know you guys got a lot of work ahead before January 13th, but we're excited the season is coming back, and we look forward to uh, chatting with you once it gets underway.
4: All right. Thanks, guys, for having me. Take care, okay?
3: Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Craig. You 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 know, Alex, in in the minor leagues, uh, it was not uncommon... at, at the different levels I was at where because of the way the divisions worked and how it worked, like you would play other teams in your division sometimes 12 times a year. I'm telling you something, this, it's going to be awesome. The nastiness that's going to build between the blues and the Vegas golden Knights. you know, I mean, that, that's why I, I don't look the way this has worked out. I think that signing of Kyle Clifford for the St. Louis blues is huge. I yeah. feel totally different now about being in this division, knowing that Clifford is on this team, than I would if we had gone in kind of with the team we went through last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think, I think he's going to bring a little extra swagger to this team that we're going to need. And oh my goodness, are you going to have to be tough? Wow. Like I'm telling you, I keep, like, I got to, I got my back pinned against the
2: wall in this Tom twister of storylines. I can't, I can't write these ideas. I, like, I can't write them down fast enough. Well, you remember that Vegas game uh, in January last year where basically Reeves took Petro down to the ice and things got a little bit nasty afterwards. Uh, that is going to be amplified by eight times considering how many times you're playing these teams. And we'll talk about that nastiness in the 1 o'clock hour because I think the baseball series that the Blues are going to be in is going to create so much more of that. So we'll get into that in the next hour. But uh, if you missed any of the Craig Berube interview that we just wrapped up with, you can check it out in the podcast after the show, 101ESPN.com. Thank you to our friends over at I Promise. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll flip over to some NFL quick hitters, including something happening yesterday that I guarantee you, guarantee Chris Kerber celebrated. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. Time for some NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario, along with Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson taking care of things back on the board with us today. I teased something that Kerbs has celebrated probably for the first time. Well, definitely for the first time in a long time. But I would imagine he celebrated hard with some McRibs, maybe a shirt being thrown off in the air because of it. Not an image I wanted in my head. But the New England Patriots being eliminated from the postseason for the first time since 2008, and Curbs, I would imagine that is the uh, the sweetest sounding thing you've heard in a long time. Am I right? Well, it is. Uh, I enjoy
3: uh, seeing the New England Patriots lose. Having said that, the reason that is is because they've had success for so doggone long. So, uh, the St. Louis fan in me, from the moment that the Patriots cheated the Rams out of another Super Bowl. Uh, loves to see the fact that they're losing, but it does have to come with a caveat that the sports fan in me knows that uh, that was one hell of a run by the Patriots. Having said that, uh, good for them. I, I
2: think I think them losing is, is great. I think it's just I don't know fantastic. What was I don't know what was sweeter, though, listening or knowing that they missed the playoffs or listening to Bill Belichick after the game because uh, that was a very somber man in the post-game press conference. I...
3: I, I Bill Belichick and his press conferences are dumb anyway. I can't believe people still do them with him. Like it, yeah, it, it isn't it isn't worth true. your time. Like shouldn't like okay so Bill Belichick's gonna go into Canton at one point in time, okay? Like and 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 I've said the same thing about. I, I believe the same thing when it comes to any of the Hall of Fame. I believe Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. I believe. I believe some of the steroid era. Hitters, whether it be Mark McGuire or others, should be in the Hall of Fame. But I believe their story should tell that. Pete Rose's plaque in the Hall of Fame should say he was banned by Bart Giamatti for life. Okay? Uh, I believe that anybody that was, whether it be Sosa, McGuire, Bonds, should it, it, it should talk about the steroid era. It shouldn't overlook that. And I believe that when Bill Belichick goes in, any bio should talk of should talk about the fact that they got caught cheating three times. You know, so um, I, I just I I don't think you ignore history. I think it should all be part of it, and and you still go in that. Hey, speaking of speaking of losing, so <laughs> the New York Jets, the New York <laughs> Jets finally get a win, beautifully over the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, oh, great. Yes, when you read about that and you realize that that McVeigh called Gates uh, gaze earlier in the year, and or I'm sorry, earlier in the week. Case realizes it's 7.15 a.m. Eastern time, so McVay is calling him at like 4.15 in the morning. Like, at, at what point is it analysis by paralysis for coaches? You know, I mean, look, I, okay, I know they've got a winning record. They're 9-5. and five. Okay. Do you think that if McVay went home, say, at midnight and came back to work at 6 in the morning, that their record would be any different?
2: Yeah, of course. It would is be it, worse because well, you got to be at the office early.
3: And here's the other thing. So everybody's asking the question today. The hot topic is, did the New York Jets screw themselves over because they they got a win and they, you know, and all of a sudden now they don't hold on to that, to that first overall draft pick. They took Sam Darnold with the third overall pick just three years ago. Now I know they've got it. know they've got a new general manager. Okay, that that came in in June of 2019. All right. So Douglas comes in in 2019. So he's not the guy that drafted, that drafted Sam Darnold. All right. And 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 you know after the fact when you look at that draft that Josh Allen was taken 7th overall, 3 pick, three or four picks later, that Lamar Jackson was taken 32nd overall. Okay, so oops, I mean no doubt the Jets made an error there. Okay, but having said that, when you're a coach, when you're a player and you're judged on wins, you you're not going to go out there and try to lose. Like you're just not going to go out there and try to lose. And on top of that, you're not 0 13. Because Sam Darnold is your quarterback. All right. You, you're 0-13 because you've got a bad team. Because there's a lot more problems than just your quarterback. Now, is the quarterback the reason for some of those losses? Sure, possibly. You know, but look, look like I, I compare it to kind of the Chicago Bears. Yeah, you're seven and seven because you've got problems with your quarterback, but you're still seven and seven. You're still 500, right? If you're 0-13, it's not on just your quarterback. You've got a lot more issues to deal with.
2: Well, well you're one that they won. I mean,
3: you got to go out and try and win, don't you?
2: Yeah. Well, the Rams, the, the Rams lost. I mean, the Jets are one in thirteen now, and we'll bring in Tanner Hendrickson because Curbs, this is the biggest Rams fan that that, that we know at the station. But let's be honest, the Jets are one in thirteen now because they got a quarterback problem. Their their quarterback sucks, Tanner. The Rams got a quarterback problem too. Golf sucks. What I'm saying—that's lo- the only reason the I- Jets won. I know. Wait a
3: minute. How do you wait a minute. Wait, a minute. Wait, a minute. wait. Stop. 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 That's not the story. That Tanner. Is the story. Uh, what? No, is Tanner from L.A.? No. Close. I'm
5: from Illinois. Close.
3: Oh, close. <laughs> Gee. Yeah. You do know, there's you, a big ocean called the Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. There's a big ocean called the Mississippi Ocean that's between, you know, Illinois and 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 the rest of the country there, like. How are you st- How is anybody? St- how is anybody living in this area still a Rams fan?
5: Well, let's see. Uh, I did the process of elimination. I didn't want to root for the Bears because I hate every team in Chicago. A lot of people around my hometown were Colts fans, so I didn't want to just jump the bandwagon. And then I didn't want to stay with the Chiefs, so I was like, "Oh all right, we'll go with the LA."
3: That's brutal.
2: That is brutal. That was a
3: brutal One more curbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One get more me before I end up going yeah, after. Yeah, going before down. you get me on that Yeah, topic. before
2: you hurt Tanner here. That's, One that's, more for that's you. Brutal. We've seen a well, speaking of brutal, we've seen another general manager be fired in the NFL. The Carolina Panthers earlier today announced that they fired their general manager, and this one's interesting because I didn't think Carolina had a horrible season. It wasn't great. They didn't make the postseason, but look with a new quarterback and a head coach that you're still kind of grooming, but apparently they have uh, they have directional differences in the way that Carolina wants to run their team and the way that the general manager uh, was running the team.
3: Yeah, well, the fascinating part about this to me is their owner, David Tepper. So when an owner comes out and says, we're making a change at the general manager level and when he does so, he refers to the fact that it's very clear that our general manager and our coach are not on the same page. And, and they're not in alignment. That's the word he used. They're not in alignment with each other. And he said, you can't win without that. It's stupid that we don't have that. That is an amazing indictment from an owner towards a general manager. And look, now you've got Houston, Jacksonville, Detroit, Atlanta, Carolina. Alex, what are the odds out there that you've got Five really good general managers waiting in the wings for jobs. I, I don't see that uh, as being the case. So there's going to be a couple duds that get hired in, in that group of five, without a doubt. There's going to be a couple that just it just aren't going to work. But I, I'm telling you, and 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 you've seen it, you've seen it in other sports. If, if a general manager doesn't somehow have an organizational philosophy that in, that includes communication and understanding from top to bottom, man, you can't you can't win. Ron Hextall with the Philadelphia Flyers should get a lot of credit for some of the young talent and the, and the the trend that the that the Flyers are going on right now. And and they're they're trending in the right direction. But he had a horrible horrible culture created the Philadelphia and that was a huge part as to why they 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 couldn't win in my opinion. It's and you see this in other sports. Paul Fenton the same thing with Minnesota. A couple of the moves that Paul Fenton made uh, towards the end—I mean, that so so a couple of them might actually work out pretty well—and but in the end, the culture was horrific, and that that forced Leopold to make the change. Here's a situation where an owner of an NFL team is realizing, man, this culture is not going in the way we want, and he's going to make a change. Man, that that's a there's a difference in saying we just feel we need to go in another direction, and then when the owner comes out and actually puts it in your lap and says, "I." Uh, This is stupid what we're doing here with not to have an alignment between our coach and our general manager, and that can't be the case. That's a totally different story.
2: Yeah. Well, we got Monday Night Football tonight uh, here on 101 ESPN. The Cincinnati Bengals, Pittsburgh Steelers going at it. You'll hear that action starting a little after 7 o'clock when kickoff happens here on 101 ESPN. Wimp? Yeah.
3: Hang on. but You mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals. Can you do the
2: Uh icky shuffle? No, I can't.
3: Do you even know what the icky, icky shuffle, shuffle is? It can't be that hard, know right?
2: What, the, what?
5: It can't be that hard.
3: You, you, Alex, you you should do, in honor of Monday night football, right? And considering the Bengals really should have no chance in this game, right? Um, and I've got some great friends in Cincinnati. Oh, my gosh. It's like the friends in Cleveland or some of these other cities. Uh, like, like it should, It's painful for them what happens year in and year out. Right, but I think in honor of this game, you should do a TikTok and put it out there, Alex, of you a doing tick-tock. the icky shuffle.
2: What's I it? will do the icky shuffle if you do the truffle shuffle. I can do the truffle shuffle. I bet. There's 2 TikToks coming your way later on this <laughs> afternoon. Speaking of directional differences, uh, we know the direction the Cardinals are going in, cutting salary. But the manager might have a different mindset. Curbs and I will get into that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So I just looked up a video just to be sure what the icky shuffle was. I could do this. There's no problem. I could do the icky shuffle. Oh, abso- absolutely. I just didn't know if you could if you could do it without looking at the video. Oh no, I had to watch the video. I had to be sure what the icky shuffle was. But I, I think I I will do this challenge, Kerbs. I will put an icky shuffle shuffle video out if we get a truffle shuffle video from Chris Kerber. So I got it. I got challenge thrown out there. I'm, I'm
3: not a, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to that. All right, I'll I'll get together with my uh, I'll get with my fourteen year old kid and have her uh, show me how we can do a TikTok on this.
2: Okay, you do that, I'll do that. I'll do the icky shuffle, and we'll put them out later today. How's that?
3: Like, like I got to be honest with you though, that even that didn't even close. In <laughs> no, terms it's not. Of, but I just uh, wanted to see if you did the truffle shuffle. That, that, that's that's not even that's that's not even close. <laughs> how about this? So I'm 49, I turned 50 in May, and I was just texting back and forth as I'm nerding out here a little bit with a buddy of mine on the uh, season finale of Mandalorian. So I'm I'm not I won't I won't give a spoiler alert for those that haven't caught up to it. But I'm telling you something. I think I think they did a spectacular job with that series. Like they did a great job with that series. I think I think that Mandalorian series is better than some of the movies. And Alex, if your wife if your wife wants to watch it, sit down and watch it with her for crying out loud.
2: You're by yourself on this one because I uh, I can't even watch all of the Star Wars movies. They're too uh, they're too they're they're too much for me, man. They're too much.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's cool what they've done. I, I think it's I think it's actually amazing that they have kept the franchise going since like 1977, and it's still going and making the kind yeah. of money they've been, they're making. I mean, that's that that's a
2: level of brilliance. Itself. That well, speaking that, of
3: well, shoot, they're coming out with a new uh, they're coming out with a new Indiana Jones.
2: Yeah, well, Harrison Ford's like 90, so I don't know how they're doing that. I know, but he's gonna he's gonna be uh be in it again with that. So, yeah. Well, speaking of franchises. We got to talk about the Cardinals, Curbs, because we've spent I've a lot of them. time this offseason. Yes, sitting here discussing finding a middle of the order bat, finding somebody that can anchor this team. But it's a pipe dream because John Mozeliak and company have said that, look, in the uncertain times, the pandemic has hit. It's going to be hard to sit here and go out there and find an upgrade for the middle of the order bat. That's coming from the president of baseball operations. But, Curbs, I want to play you a quote from Mike Schilt's Zoom conference on Friday talking about upgrading the offense take a listen
6: first we have what we have and we were very intentional kind of piggybacking on Jeff's question um of just about being the best version of helping and, and working with everybody getting getting incrementally better and, and taking the offseason to do that and I think that's a healthy mindset I do like the, the pieces that we have and the players we have and I'm grateful for the opportunity to work with them and, and help them you know get the most out of their God-given ability and help us put together a team that's you know, competes for you know, winning the National League Central and beyond. But, you know, part two of that question is, yeah, anytime you could improve your club or, or put a, a, an anchor in the middle of your lineup, definitely be very welcoming because it just has residual effect. Um, you know, not only that, it, it helps other people in the lineup, it lengthens the lineup, and, and it just makes everybody around them better when you have that, that um, extra, extra, you know, bat that can make a consistent difference.
2: So he's talking about obviously upgrading that middle-of-the-order bat, and he went on to say he hasn't been tinkering with the potential lineup, mostly because there's a real possibility we'll have a different addition to this club. Curbs, I'm curious, because we all are under the assumption there's not going to be a middle-of-the-order bat, but when the manager comes out and says this, that it would help out, it would upgrade... Does it put a spotlight on John Moselock to get that bat for the manager? Because we saw this a lot with Tony La Russa when he wanted something, when there was a blatant hole in the organization, Walt Jockety and company went out and found that upgrade. I I don't think it does because much like we were talking about
3: with, with with the Carolina Panthers, Moselock and Schilt, they're, they're in alignment. They know what they've got. They know what they're dealing with. John Moselock knows that if he can go out and get a middle of the order bat, he knows it's going to help his club. You want the manager saying what he did. Look, the manager is judged on wins and losses. So he's, uh, yeah, he's going to want a middle of the bat. That is something that you know of. And like you and I talked about last week, Alex, way too many question marks on way too many players from a consistency standpoint, I think to feel comfortable either as a manager or as a fan of the team. Having said that, it. I don't think it puts any added pressure on on John Mozaylock. It, it. He knows exactly where he's at and and what it's going to take. I. I. But a manager should say exactly that. I mean. And and I'm not sure. Listen. I don't think he was necessarily throwing something. You know, putting a little grenade in, in John Mozaylock's lap. I think the question that in the way he answered it, he answered it was of course if you can go get that it helps us and here's how it helps us. So, um. I just look. I think there's a chance that the St. Louis Cardinals, because of the way this division is set up and, and the way some of the teams are down, I don't think the Cardinals are in a spot where I, – I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think they still have a chance to compete for a division title. And I don't think there's anything small from that. You're only two years separated from having been a Final Four team. You, you were in the NL cha- National League Championship Series. It's hard to adjust on the fly, but you can do it. You can change from one core to the next, especially if you've got the young arms that that they have. And if Michaelis is healthy and you have a rotation that starts with KK, has Michaelis in it, has Flaherty in it, start with Flaherty. Start with any of the three, and I'm fine with it. That's a pretty solid top three. And then you've got the rest of the arms that you can filter in there, whether it be a Gomber, a Dakota Hudson, an Adam Wainwright, whatever you want to do with it. I think they've got the ability to to handle this and still be very competitive. So uh, my quest, my biggest question mark, to be honest with you, is less about the middle part of the order from a bat. I think that's an obvious question. It's you got rid of your two-time gold glove winning second baseman. Part of your identity was pitching and defense. If you've got young pitchers you are trying to be bring along, you've got to make sure your defense is good. And I guess we'll have to wait and see what comes. But especially if you did not bring a Molina back, you know, all of a sudden you go from pretty solid up the middle with Molina, DeYoung, some of your pitchers, of course, but Molina, DeYoung, Wong, and say a Harrison Bader in center with defense. That's pretty good up the middle defensively to not being very good or not being very solid up the middle potentially defensively. And that concerns me more than anything.
2: Well, and I I think that's why we've heard Jumbo Zaloc state that they're going to leave that door open for Colton Wong. It's hard for us to believe that that would happen and bring him back. But uh, at least that's where they're going with it in terms of trying to keep the door open for a young player like that, because their identity is defense. And I don't think there's any question that he upgrades the defense no matter what.
3: Okay, but let me let me throw another scenario at you just
2: just for the sake
3: of throwing an argument your way. Okay, They made a business decision with Colton Wong. They made a business decision based on, and, and I don't know that I'm a fan of this decision that they made, okay? I believe in keeping your homegrown talent, especially when he's developed the way he has, all right? But do they have a different option that maybe brings a different bat? I don't know. But the reality of it is this. Why can't you circle back with Colton Wong? What if the market for, what, what if, I mean, look, this is the issue with, with the markets right now uh, across some of these sports in COVID, Alex. I haven't seen Colton Wong sign yet. Have you? Nope. I mean, he's been available. Another team could jump on him, offer him 12 $15, 20000000 a year, you know, and, and he'd probably jump at it. Does he want to go play in Toronto, which is one of the teams that seems to have expressed a lot of interest in him, at least they're talking about that north of the border. Once you know a little bit more of the situation you're going to be dealing with this year, you could actually circle back with Colton Wong and you could offer him a contract of, of of X number of years. You actually could change the terms of a contract that allows you to bring him back, that allows you to pay him a certain amount this year, and even give him more once you know the finances are back on track. I, I'm not saying it's likely. It's very unlikely that when teams do this and put a guy on waivers or don't sign him or don't offer or decline the option, it's unlikely that they stay with the franchise. But in the world of COVID, ha. <laughs> I'm not opposed to the unlikely happening at this point in time, to be honest with you. Yeah,
2: I, I think fans would love that if that were to happen in the offseason, especially when they're all clamoring for a bat. Colton Long at least would be some type of upgrade considering uh, what you have now. He's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. BK out today. He will be back with us tomorrow. We will get into the junk drawer next, including a Christmas nightmare that nobody wants. We'll touch on that next year on 101 ESPN.
0: Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Powered by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go Blues.
2: Time to open up the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Of course, it is BK and Ferrario. No BK today. Chris Kerber sitting in for Brandon Kylie. BK will be back with us tomorrow. I'm a little hesitant to do this segment with Kerbs because the last time we did this on Friday, I got a, a back, backyard goats uh, email. So,
3: Have you unsubscribed to that yet? Or yes, are, are I, you still getting goat emails?
2: No, I quickly unsubscribed from that one. Um, You didn't give it
3: like the weekend and see how many emails on goats they sent you over a four-day period. Like, where's your your adventurous spirit?
2: You tell me somebody who would be willing to give the weekend to an email address of (laughs) backyardgoats.com. Nobody (laughs) would. That's exactly I'll take your silence as an answer. You didn't know. (laughs) No, I don't need to learn that. All right, well I did learn uh, another nightmare moment for me. And this is would be a Christmas themed one for you curves, of course we're leading up to Christmas. So this family was putting up their Christmas tree a couple of weeks ago and in doing so, they found a little surprise in the middle of this Christmas tree. Wasn't a uh wasn't an ornament that they forgot, wasn't a cookie that was left over for Santa Claus. No, this was a live raccoon. As they are putting up their Christmas tree, this live raccoon decides to jump out and attack the family. Luckily, the, uh, the husband knew what was happening and knew how to handle a raccoon, which I don't think any of us would know how to handle a raccoon. Uh, but they contained it, and they called animal services. But could you imagine putting up your Christmas tree with your daughter's curbs, telling your daughter to put an ornament on? Next thing you know, she uh, looks in between the branches, and here comes a little raccoon for you.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's a risk when you're chopping down your own Christmas tree that, that you've got to deal with as you bring home a pet. Now, in the tree that we got, we got our tree. We've gotten our tree every year from Ted Drews here. I looked in towards the um, towards the, the main stump shooting up through the tree, and, and I could see, like, a cluster of grass and stuff. So I think at some point in time, a bird, at one point, it started to try and build a nest in the tree that we have this year.
2: <laughs> that's why I only do fake Christmas trees.
3: That's true. That's that, way, that way you're only dealing with spider nests. Now, if I told you, Alex, nothing I told you about Canadians and ice would really surprise you, right? I mean, true. In all fairness, okay. All right. Well, apparently there were two Canadians, all right, uh, In a, at a frozen lake that decided to chop a couple of holes, not to go ice fishing... But to drop themselves in the holes and then on the ice they left in between the two holes, put together a chessboard and played five minutes of chess at about minus 20 degrees Celsius. So they uh, they literally played chess while they are sitting in a water of a frozen lake. It got me thinking. What would you do? What, what game? If, if somebody said you have to play a game while sitting in a frozen lake what game would you choose?
2: Do I have to finish? Do I have to complete the game before I can leave the ice? Leave the frozen water?
3: Yeah, the one thing I couldn't find out is if they actually completed the game, but part of it does look like they
2: got pretty far
3: o- over the course of it.
2: Sure, Probably you got to complete I, the game. Twister, because then I would I would just lose immediately and then get out, right?
3: I'd have bet my money you'd have said shoots and ladders. I was
2: going to say, I don't connect know how to play four. shoots and ladders. See, Connect Four is a good one. Connect, Connect Four is Connect a, good four one, is a pretty good How are you one. But yeah, play no, there
3: is a video here. Uh, the, the, there is a video here of these two guys sitting in, and and it just goes to show you that the Canadians who are so nice. And so, by the way, by the way, with as nice as Canadians are, okay, what the hell happened to their geese? <laughs> like, what the hell happened like, to the moose it. too? Well, okay, I mean. They, they, they got those big antlers. They, they, they could cause some damage. But, but seriously, <laughs> like sometimes those Canadian geese are mean. Like I, I think what happened is somewhere along the way, something happened and something got a curse where they decided to funnel all their negative energy through their
2: Canadian geese, and then they send them over the border. Maybe that's why Canadians are so yep. nice, because they don't want to deal with the geese, so they have to be nice to offset the geese anger.
3: Right? Boy, that could be. Boy, sometimes those geese get pissed off. They are.
2: T-Bone, what do you got for us on the junk drawer today?
5: All right. Well, speaking of animals, uh, in Oregon, the sheriff's deputy, they were investigating a report of a cheetah on the loose near the Oregon Zoo. Uh, They discovered the report the escaped animal is actually a stuffed animal. So it, it didn't really escape. And I'm looking at this photo, guys. I'm telling you, that doesn't look like a real cheetah. I don't know how anybody fell for this.
2: Okay, that's an incredible prank phone call that somebody pulled off. Now, don't pull off prank phone calls with police because we all know how, well, that's how going to go
3: illegal up there.
2: Fair question. Fair question that if somebody saw yeah. their stuffed animal and thought that that bad boy was was real. Yeah, I want I want a blood test. <laughs> I want blood tests. Can you imagine that phone call though just saying, "Hey, yeah, yeah, there's there's a cheetah on the loose" and then they find the stuffed animal of uh, of interest. Yeah, they're all going to jail.
5: You guys better hurry. This cheetah hasn't moved in ten minutes.
2: <laughs> this cheetah, this cheetah's been stalking oh, me for the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, they
3: they 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 put a and they put a live webcam on it. Oh my god.
2: Weed can do some some wild things, wild things. So I have heard. He's Chris Kerber. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to go the international side. Jamie Reed, who is a radio analyst for the Fulham Football Club, is going to join us to talk a little bit about the international side because I know they have a lot of fans in the building. And, of course, Curves is going to nerd out a little bit with some Fulham soccer to get into. So we'll touch on that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Back in on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario with you, along with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. He is sitting in for BK. BK will be back with us tomorrow. We're going to go a little little international on this one as we head to our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and we're going to head out to London and welcome in Jamie Reed, who is a color commentator radio analyst for the Fulham Football Club, talking soccer here on 101 ESPN. Jamie, it's great to catch up with you. How are you today? Or tonight, I should say.
7: Very well, thank you, Alex. Yes, 7 o'clock over here in London, and it has to be said, it's not been the best of days, but uh, the positive is another point for Fulham in their last outing on Saturday night, and uh, it was encouraging to see them play so well against Newcastle. Had one or two decisions gone their way, they might even have picked up the three points on offer. So uh, I mustn't grumble.
2: That's awesome. Jamie, uh, I know we're going to get a lot into Fulham in a bit because uh, we got Chris Kerber with us and he is a nerd when it comes to football and Fulham, to be honest. But let me start with this because you're on the international side and I know that uh, that Fulham and the Premier League have started to allow some fans back into the stadiums. And I'm just curious, kind of the COVID impact of what you've seen on the international side with sports.
7: Yeah, it's been very difficult because over here at the moment, there's tiers one, two, three and four. To break that down, most simply, uh, the virus, the new strain of the virus, the COVID-19 that's been found, has kind of centred around London and the southeast of uh, the United Kingdom. So basically, in and around where Fulham play their matches at Craven Cottage in the centre of London and going all the way down towards uh, France. On the uh, the coast side, that's caused a lot of issues for people, and there's been a lot more concern, and that sort of stopped supporters from being able to go back into matches. So, Fulham fans only had the opportunity to attend one match, and it was one special match. It has to be said against Liverpool, the reigning European and Premier League champions. So. Uh, To get that chance to go there and to see Fulham draw one all against Liverpool was extra special, but certainly COVID-19 has really taken a hold once more. We're now in tier four and the prime minister had to speak and just ask everyone to uh, make sure they're vigilant because uh, the virus is showing no signs of going away.
3: And, and Jamie, first off, it's great to talk with you. Thank you for joining us uh, from over in London. Thanks for putting up with me, texting back and forth with you. I I've, thoroughly enjoyed being able to kind of share some thoughts of what I see from a game and and, and learn from you and gentleman Jim on, on the calls that I've been following it's I, I'm telling you something I, Alex called it nerding out so here's what happened a couple of years ago a, a colleague of both of ours uh, Jim Woodcock um, I'm, I'm Jim who does some help with PR for Khan, the owner of Fulham the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, he's watching the playoff games and Fulham at Wembley Stadium, wins promotion back to the Premier League. And I said, you know, I get up every weekend on NBC Sports and I watch these games, and I've never kind of taken to a team and say I want to root for this team. So I looked at Woody and I said, Fulham's going to become my team. Tim Ream of St. Louis and plays for it's another great reason to follow it. And I've, I've actually thoroughly loved – and as you know, Jamie, when we work in sports, that we're fans of the teams we're doing, but we're tied into so much and it's so tight. I've just loved being able to be a fan, a, a fan of the sport – and a fan of the team, and it's been fun to watch them go up, have to go back down, kind of get back up. It, it is quite a challenge. For for fans in the United States that do not fully understand the relegation aspect and pressures of soccer over in England, What what is it like to be a part of that every single game where you realize that where you finish on the standings could actually put you in a different league?
7: Yeah, that's the big concern, isn't it? Certainly, you have to think to yourself that uh, Fulham over the last few seasons, it's been a little bit up and down in as much as uh, they were relegated the last time we were in the Premier League. So that was a concern going down. But one thing I would say, Scott only had a few games at the end of last season or that season that the team was in the uh, Premier League. So I think that made a massive, massive difference. For me, Scott Parker, who's the manager at the moment, has done a wonderful job. You picked out Shad Khan. It's not just Shad. his son, Tony, who does all of the recruiting for the team. They've both done a wonderful job. We're indebted to uh, our American owners. We really are. Um, And I guess that's what makes it extra special. The club has a current American international, or current American internationals, I should say, because you picked out Tim Ream. Another player we should probably mention is Anthony Robinson. And to answer your question, Kerbster, it goes back to saying that the situation of relegation and promotion means that there's something on most games. You get down to the business end of the season, you know, the last few matches of any campaign, and teams have to try and win, need to try and stop losing matches in order to stay in the current standings where they are. You know, the last thing any team wants to do is be relegated. So it just keeps the interest alive, and that's always the uh, the positivity. There's generally something on matches and that's what keeps the uh, supporters flocking through the turnstiles when, of course, they can attend.
2: Again, we're talking with Jamie Reed here on our Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on BK and Ferrario. Jamie is radio analyst for the Fulham Football Club over in London. Jamie, you mentioned Anthony Robinson, and this is a player who I know, at least in the United States, some people are keeping a close eye on because he's a part of that U.S. men's national team. Uh, Talk a little bit about his game so far and what you've seen from him.
7: He's done a wonderful job. He really has, Alex. I've been very, very impressed with him. It goes without saying that you know he's a wonderful player because he's managed to put Joe Bryan out of the team. And Joe was the player who scored both goals in the playoff final to get Fulham back into the Premier League by beating Brentford in that West London derby. So to be able to oust Joe from the team, it just goes to show how well Anthony's slotted in. It really was a steal buy for two million pounds. We mentioned about Tony Khan and the trading, you know, the way he manages to bring players into the club that goes down as bargain of the century for me, because he's been such a key performer. He really has. And certainly the fans have been won over by his positive displays down the uh, left-hand side of the pitch.
3: You know what, uh, Jamie, and, and let's kind of just jump into the Fulham team here for a little bit to even into more specifics. What, what does it help fulham and the continued success like there's no doubt that they're trending in the right direction right now and i actually think with a little bit of luck going their way they could have won their last three matches could be on a, a three-game win streak to, to be honest with you but again i think it's a team learning how to win being mentally tough enough and, and get back at there as you and i kind of tr- traded some text on that i'm kind of intrigued on the the constant work of Scott Parker and trying to decide on a given game, whether he's going with Mitrovich in the starting lineup or Caballero in the starting lineup. And then you've had to some pretty good consistency by, by uh, Bobby DeCordova-Reed. But uh, to me settling in on how he is trying to work those forwards has been one of his challenges this season.
7: Yeah, he certainly faced some challenges, hasn't he, over squad rotation and he's looked to almost pick the team, looking at the opponents, if you like. And I guess that's the sort of detail that he goes into, Scott. He's a wonderful coach. He's a wonderful man. He really is. He's done a wonderful job. I've been very, very impressed with him. I guess the positive is he's very, very young. He's not long finished playing. He obviously finished his career with uh, Fulham and did a wonderful job as uh, as a player. So we're indebted to him. We're very lucky to have him. Uh, as a manager of the club, because he really is a good role model for young players and more experienced players. He decided to make the two changes. It was very difficult, because when you have three matches in a week, you've got that midweek game and you've got games on either weekend, either side of that fixture. It does take it out of the players mentally and physically. Certainly in the Premier League, it's much quicker. The players have got much more of a technical understanding, a greater technical ability. And it just means that you need to try and rotate things around. That's why he decided to bring Mitro and Tom Kearney back for that Newcastle game. Mitro was a former Newcastle player. Tom Kearney was linked with a move to Newcastle. So he wanted to make those two changes. It didn't help that uh, Cavalero was injured in the warm-up. So he was going to start the fixture. Bobby would have been on the bench, but he had to make that late change when there was the injury to Cavalero. So I guess the positive from that regard is that there is a good playing squad. And it just means that uh, he's able to chop and change the team as he feels right to uh, to hopefully win as many football matches. But to answer your point and what you mentioned about the uh, the team potentially being on that three game winning streak, There's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't have happened. And unfortunately, one or two refereeing decisions went against the team, but that can happen in any match.
3: You know, I I look at the defensive side, and and we've mentioned Tim Ream, who's a big Blues fan, by the way, folks, too, and a good friend of Pat Maroons, and he followed the Blues through their Stanley Cup championship heavily in in 2019. Unfortunately, I think the the acquisition and, and getting Joachim Anderson on loan has impacted Tim's playing time but having said that having said that is there a bigger acquisition in terms of what has helped Fulham settle their play down and become more consistent than the one of Joachim Anderson and how good he has been for the club
7: he's been absolutely fantastic he really has has when you consider he's a young man he's worn the captain's armband and he's only just signed for the club when he arrived he got injured in training and that obviously made it difficult for him because it hampered his playing time at the start, but he's a wonderful player. He's a wonderful man. And I guess it helps when you come to a new club, when there are people around who really want you to settle in. And I can't think of any nicer person in professional sport who I've had the opportunity to work with than Tim Ream. He really is a wonderful talisman for the game of football and Not only is he great with the young players, he's good with the more experienced players. And even though he's out of the side at the moment, there's nobody giving more to the team cause. So Fulham really are so, so fortunate to, uh, to have somebody like him who's prepared to share his experience, offer his wisdom. Very beneficial to have somebody like that in the playing group.
2: Hey, Jamie, uh, before we let you go, I got, I have to ask you for, on the MLS perspective, from the Premier League perspective, of course, in St. Louis, a lot of fans excited about St. Louis City SC coming in a couple of years. Uh, what's the Premier League perspective on the, uh, on the MLS and just that expansion?
7: I think it's absolutely wonderful. It really is, and we get the opportunity. I mean, you know, you talk about being able to watch the Premier League. We're very, very fortunate that uh, Sky Sports over here in the U.K., uh, have picked up a lot of your matches, so we get the chance to, uh, to watch games in the evening. And it's great that uh, we can sort of see the players. And there's been players that have played in the championship over here and have played in the uh, the Premier League. They've gone over stateside, you know, played in the MLS. And it's a wonderful competition. It really is. It's growing. And to see some of the uh, the big names getting involved, not just as players, but as owners as well. Uh, And I can think of one man in particular. But hearing that news about the St. Louis Blues is is wonderful. And, you know, everybody, upon everybody over here has got nothing but praise. Certainly all of our Fulham fans absolutely love the element of uh, of the American support. Because there's not many clubs like it. Some people have got, or some groups of supporters have got some fans from... uh, around the world but certainly our american contingent followed the club through thick and thin i think it helps that we've got american owners but certainly the mls and the premier league working hand in hand glove in glove and it's uh, it's wonderful that uh, both of those competitions are re- really well respected
3: as we wrap up with jamie reed who is uh, the radio analyst and broadcaster for fulham football club over in london joining us live from london and, you know, his perspective that he gave us at the beginning uh, just about the impact of COVID just shows you how much it is a worldwide pandemic and the impact that it's had. Jamie, I want to get into one more strategy thing. When I watch these games, one of the aspects I'm loving, and you mentioned Anthony Robinson and, and how good of a player he has been for you and such a young player and, and a U.S. player that fans of U.S. soccer are going to see with the, the men's national team for quite a while coming. The attack up that left side when all of a sudden you look at Anthony Robinson, who's a defender, and next thing you know, he's up front and he's overlapping on some runs with Adam Ola-Lukman, and, and those guys are working that ball. like It is a fantastic aspect that of, of Fulham's attack that I think can only get better over the course of the year as they get more and more comfortable with it, don't you think?
7: I fully agree with you, yeah. I think the positive for Anthony Robinson certainly is that he works so, so hard, and you look at his stats, all of the players wear GPS vests so uh, they've got them on underneath the shirts that they wear, and really, he does work tirelessly. Not only does he get forward to good effect, he puts good crosses into the box, he then manages not to negate his defensive duties, so he really is the archetypal attacking uh, attacking defender rather, who gets forward almost like a wing-back, if you like. He offers both roles to uh, such good effect, and Certainly, you have to say that uh, you're well looked after with uh, with somebody of his quality. He's done a wonderful job for Fulham, and I'm sure that he'll excel on the uh, the international stage too.
3: Jamie, thanks for being so kind and and giving us some time today. Uh, love talking with you. Uh, I appreciate the the communication with you uh, over the last year or so. It's been it's been a real treat for me personally and fun as a fan of your football club there. And uh, we will definitely do this again. But thank you so much for joining us live from London and uh, have yourself a, a terrific holiday season. Merry Christmas to you as the father of a couple of of, uh, of young daughters over there. It's such a special time with them. So enjoy it very much and continued success.
7: It's been wonderful chatting to you both anytime. Please bear me in mind, Curbs, Alex, thank you very much indeed. And Merry Christmas to uh, to everyone over on your side, we wish you the uh, the very best of luck moving forward, and let's hope that the world soon becomes a much safer place.
3: I uh, hope that it will, and I believe that it will too. Jamie, thank you. All the best, my man, and uh, good luck as the season moves on. Thank you very much.
2: Cheers, Curbs. Thank you. That's awesome. Jamie Reed joining us, radio analyst on the Fulham Football Club over in London, and Curbs. Now I want to uh, now I want to pick up his uh, his accent every time I talk.
3: Okay. well, listen, one of the fun things for me is obviously just listening to the broadcasters, the words they use and how they do it. And they've got a terrific they've got a terrific broadcast team with Gentleman Jim, who is I mean, he's kind of like our Mike Shannon. okay? and and then Jamie, who's who's excellent at what he does. And and I'm listening to a game. I, I was I had the I had the game on my phone streaming it and I was listening to a game. And, uh, and at one point in time, they, they came from behind and had the victory. And I think it was Gentleman Jim that says, uh, if we can get this win, it'll all be, I, what did he call it? He goes, like, basically, like, uh, chips and Guinness on the way home for But It was just, just some fantastic stuff. So, um, it was a lot of fun. But interesting to get the perspective from over in London and, and what they're dealing with, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we wait, feel kind question. of burdened down by everything this year, and they're, they're doing the same thing.
2: Yeah, without question, and hopefully, like he said, we can get back to normal sooner rather than later. He's Chris Kerber, I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hockey in the news over the weekend, the return of the NHL on January 13th, the possibility of some baseball series matchups. Kerbs and I will get into that next here on 101 ESPN. Big thanks to Jamie Reed of the Fulham Football Club over in London for hopping on with us. A lot of reaction curves on the air comfort service. Text line 65780. Loving the English Premier League talk, the uh, soccer talk, of course. A lot of fans excited for that 2023 date when uh, the MLS comes to St. Louis. So a big thank you to Jamie Reed. And if you missed that interview, you can check it out after the show on the podcast, 101ESPN.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, just search BK and Ferrario. Thank you to our friends over at I Promise. Don't forget, 2 o'clock today, Alexander Steen is having his uh, media availability, answering questions about his retirement and announcing his retirement last week. So, Curbs, uh, Curbs and I will talk more about hockey here, but uh, you can hear Alexander Steen at the start of the fast lane uh, starting at 2 o'clock. But, uh, of course, the NHL has announced that it is returning on January 13th. It's official Uh, January 3rd is when training camps start. We talked to Craig Berube at 12 o'clock, talking about the Blues playing in this West Division with the California teams, Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota. Um, But, Curbs, let's get into this a little bit because we didn't really have the opportunity to touch on this as much. And it's the baseball series side of this one. So, if people don't know, the Blues and the NHL are going to be playing 56 games in basically 116 days, which would be a game every other day. But what the NHL is doing this season, They're doing it much like a, a major league baseball season to where you'd go into Vegas and you would play Vegas two times in three days or in two days. Basically, you would go back to back with some series against this team, which not only sets up incredible rivalries, Curbs, but it also sets up a intriguing season. That's 56 games because you're playing the same teams eight times throughout the season to make the postseason. So the challenges of, of recognizing the team mentality that you're taking on is going to be huge for the coaching staff and the players.
3: Yeah, there is so much to that,
2: Alex. And I think, listen, so
3: the immediate reaction from fans, at least the vocal ones, um, and, and probably the ones that are a little, you know, a little out there, uh, has kind of been, wow, ah, we're not in the Central Division. Can't they read a map? To which I'd like to remind them that the, uh, you know that that the Dallas Cowboys are in the NFC East, okay. That's but true. you know, um, and the New York Mets and the St. Louis Cardinals used to be in the same division, okay. So, uh, <laughs> but beyond that, oh, the reality is you've got to you've got to take a, a little bit more time to think this through here. So first off, the schedule. You're going into these cities, and you are going to spend three to four days in each city and if there's two days in between a set you might spend a fifth day in one of these cities all right so so that that's the first thing you have to realize in a conversation we had with doug armstrong you know he, he looked at it like this for well first off you talk to a guy like ryan o'reilly and he says the longer flights don't bother us you know you know it, to us that's bonding time and if you mm-hmm. really think about it alex You know, some of the flights that that are going to happen, it's like some people were saying, wow, they've they've got the worst, you know, travel of any team in the league. Really? So Vancouver to Montreal. I mean, that's you know, that's that's kind of like five and a half, six hours. Uh, And, and, you know, even even the flights for having to go from Detroit to Miami, you know, is is a three hour and 40 minute flight like the flights are not that big of a deal. They're comfortable. You're set. You don't feel worn out by the long flights. And and then you get into the city. Well, again, the biggest difference is now is where the Blues are going to be going for these winter months is into Anaheim, Phoenix, L.A., San Jose. I mean, even the scenery in Denver is fantastic, right? So you look at those. Yes, you got Minnesota in there. Okay. But you look at that scenario, Las Vegas, Vegas. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's easy. Forgot to throw that one in there. So when the Blues are going to go into a city, they're spending three to four days in a city like that where, yes, even if it's kind of tightly wound for COVID and you're not, you're not going to restaurants and things, but maybe you're going outside and in those other cities, you've got an off day and you're kind of relaxing at a poolside, right, mm-hmm. versus you're stuck in your room in Detroit, you know, as, as, as the lake effect snow is pounding you, you know, in, in Detroit. Or you're in you're in Columbus dealing with the Winter City like so, except yep. for Minnesota, the Blues don't have that. I I actually think from a mental health aspect of getting through this, I think it's a benefit to the St. Louis Blues, and, and we yeah. can get into the competitive aspect of playing better hockey. But just from that basic standpoint, I think it's better. Now the the schedule part and playing those back to back the two games in a city like we're talking about, dude. I'm telling you, Alex, that makes that makes travel in the NHL easier. Tom, me who's been with a director of Cardinal baseball for 30 plus years and a dear friend, Tom traveled with us with with loose hockey, my, my first five or six years in this league. And, uh, and at the same time, he was doing Cardinal baseball. He's he, and, 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 and Danny Mac might even back this up too, when you guys do the crossover tomorrow with him. But the, the reality of it is, is, Baseball travel, Tom is saying, is a lot easier than hockey travel. Yeah, we're not gone for two weeks at a time. And a 10-day road trip is sometimes long and unusual. But we might, over a six- or seven-day road trip, be in four different cities. And you're traveling a lot through the night and getting into one city, playing, and then flying to the next city, getting at one in the morning. It's a different wear and tear. I think the players might actually enjoy some of the travel this year because of that. And it will make things a little bit easier, not just safer, but I also do think it will take mean the wear and tear on the bodies due to travel is eased just a little bit.
2: Well, and that's the other thing people are talking about it. And frankly, complaining about is of course the matchups at the teams and kind of thinking the blues got the raw end of the deal playing in the West. And I understand where they're coming from because yes, you do have, you know, the Nashville predators and Chicago Blackhawks and Detroit Red Wings in the central if you would have been playing there but frankly i think the the central division is a little bit more undetermined of where you rank rather than the west that you're in right now because look the california teams aren't going to be easy to play but it's pretty obvious that the la kings the anaheim ducks are looking at kind of starting over with a lot of their players and regrouping that franchise you have the Colorado Avalanche you have the Vegas Golden Knights and frankly curves Arizona and Minnesota are no no easy tasks in my opinion but I love the idea of the Blues in this division because what do we know about the St. Louis Blues team under Craig Berube they thrive in playing in matchups where they are unfavored they thrive against the heavy style of hockey that teams like to play because that's how they play and if you're telling me that they got to play Vegas if they got to play Colorado Minnesota, Arizona, LA, Anaheim, eight times in a season, I like the Blues' odds if they can stay healthy because that's the type of games that they want to play on a nightly basis.
3: Alex, I look at the way these divisions break out, okay? And let's go back to the Central then just to calm some people down a little bit. Again, remember, the top four teams in each division is how the playoffs are going to be. There's no wild card. It is just going to be the top four teams in the division. Now. Quickly go to the east. Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, Islanders, Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington. Okay, so Washington, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Boston. Those are your top four teams. Not really, but those are the top four teams in the east. The Rangers knocking on. Oh, I'm sorry. The Islanders. I, I apologize. The Islanders. the Islanders. You got to look at that. Okay, so That's So, it's gonna somewhere be the in so there's, there's five top teams in there. Because there's a chance that Philadelphia could have won their division last year had that season played out. They, And, and when we right. talked to John Walton of the Washington Capitals. he thought that the Caps were going to get caught by the Flyers, right? There's five. One of those five teams is missing the playoffs. And if Buffalo were to come out of nowhere in a shortened season, you know, or the Rangers, because the Rangers are kind of trending in, in, in a better direction. Uh, I, I don't see it happening with New Jersey. But if one of those teams comes out of nowhere and has a great start, you could have two of those teams missing the playoffs. Now go to the Central. Yeah. All right. So you, you want the Blues in the Central. Okay, Carolina, it's a tough team to play, and they've they become a playoff team. Okay, Chicago, Chicago's one of the weaker teams in that division, but you still are dealing with some superstars there, and if they figure out their goaltending in a shortened season can become a factor. Columbus, that, that team will smash you in the mouth like no other team <laughs> in the league will. The Dallas Stars, they were just in the Stanley Cup final. Okay, Detroit, no doubt. Detroit may finish last in the league again this year, but they will wreak some havoc. And, and be a spoiler, Florida trending the right direction with Joel Quinville, Nashville, a playoff team, and then the Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Right. right. There's going to be another good team or two, a team that should be in the playoffs in a normal year, that's going to be missing in that division. You look in the West, and, and your top teams are Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado, w- without a doubt. And then you've got to figure, okay, does Arizona trend in the right direction? Do they become that fourth team? Minnesota's probably going to struggle a little bit. San Jose's got an identity crisis trying to turn the corner on a dime for them. And then you've got Anaheim and L.A. I still say look out for L.A. a little bit because with Jonathan Quick in goal, Drew Doughty's still on defense, and some of their players, is still good. Like, they might wreak a little bit of havoc. But I frankly like both the high-end competition and – kind of where some of those other teams are trending a lot better in the West than I do in the Central, to be honest with you. I think the Blues, I've said this, like you're going to get tired of it. I'm going to sound like a broken record. I think (laughs) the Blues are in a really good spot being put in the Western division
2: here. Yeah, I can't wait for it. There's so many storylines, like you've mentioned, Curbs, and you and I have been kind of nerding out, as I like to say, in the breaks with this. But January 13th, it gets underway. We don't have the schedule yet, but I would imagine you'll see some sort of schedule uh, this week in the NHL for all of the teams. But you'll hear all of that action here on 101 ESPN. Curbs and Joey on the call, and I'll be hosting pre- and post-game shows. And again, reminder, Alexander Steen, uh, he's talking about his retirement at 2 o'clock, and you'll hear that on the Fast Lane today. At or at two o'clock here on one o one ESPN. Let's play a game of in or out before we get to the crossover. Two options. Well, one option. Are you in or are you out on it? Curbs and I will do that next here on one o one ESPN. All right, you text in your in or out possibility, one option, however many options, you throw them our way, Air Comfort Service text line at 65780, and we will decide if Curbs and I are in or out on it before we get over to Tanner and get some of those texts. Curbs, I think, has a couple of in or outs, buddy.
3: All right, Alex, I'll start you with this one. In or out that the Battle of Alberta in the Canadian division is the biggest rivalry must-watch games of any games in that division.
2: Oh, 100% in on this one. This is Edmonton-Calgary at its finest when these two teams go head-to-head. Because L.A. can't play Calgary, I'm really going to miss that rivalry of Dowdy and Matthew Kachuk with a hatred towards each other. But, look, if you pay any attention to this style of hockey, this is what everyone wants, Curbs, right? Like, the the Battle of Alberta – is old school 90s chuck norris division hockey like it is it is kelly chase tony twist going after it old school hockey so i am in on this this will be the most fascinating matchup all season long because the canadian vision there's only seven of them they gotta play each other nine times which is going to make it even better
3: that's that's just that's gonna be must see hockey i i hope that the blues have off days during every one of those games (laughs)
2: I agree with that one. That one is going to be so much fun. Tanner, what do you got for us on the in or out with the air comfort service text line 65780, buddy? From the 618 in or
5: out, no Trevor Lawrence. Sam Darnold is your Jets starting quarterback next year.
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm out Uh, on that. Because, look, even if – even if you don't have that first overall pick, you're going to get the second overall pick because you're not, I mean, that you're one of the worst two teams in the division, even if Jacksonville is better than you. And right now, I know there's not a lot of direction for the Jets curbs, but Justin Fields, in my opinion, is better than Sam Darnold to run a franchise with. So I'm out on that because I don't think you could do, I don't think you could go with Sam Darnold unless you don't have a top two pick.
3: Uh, I'm I'm going to be in on that one. And the reason is, is what I stated earlier in the show. You're not 0 13 just because of your quarterback. There, there's so many. It's it's just not. That's just. If it, if you were 0 13 because of your quarterback, okay, then you're firing the head coach for playing that quarterback. Your backup has to be better. All right. So uh, I, I think if they miss out on them, I think that you go ahead and you let Sam Darnold play while you fix the other issues. So when you do put in who could be your new quarterback. I mean, don't forget they wasted a third overall pick on him, right? If you do get who could be your new quarterback, he doesn't end up getting shell-shocked because the rest of your team isn't very good either.
2: Third overall pick with Sam Darnold hurts, I'm sure just as much as the uh, the Mitch Trubisky pick by the Chicago Bears in that draft with, uh, with uh, oof, that, that one still sings.
3: All right, I've got one for you here, guys. All right, want you ready for this. All right, are you in or out on the fact that the Cardinals should go ahead re-sign yadier molina and use him as the bridge to yvonne herrera the 20-year-old prospect and pretty much not worry about what the you and put put gisner out there and see what you can get for him on the market
2: yeah i'm in on this um look if you don't have yadier molina back i don't know how much it stunts yvonne herrera's growth but i would imagine it's going to stunt it a little bit because you don't have yadi teaching him now I don't. They've compared Yvonne Herrera to Yadi or Molina in terms of the overall play from the catcher position. Um, you can't upgrade offensively with the money that the the Cardinals have talked about being able to spend this offseason. So the best option for this team, in my opinion, is re-signing Yadi so that you have two years of Yadi or Molina, which gives you. The opportunity to let Yvonne Herrera do one more season in the minors and maybe that second year be in the minors and also be a backup to Yadier Molina. And, yeah, find out what Andrew Kisner can get you on the market, much like Carson Kelly.
5: From the 636, are you in or are you out? The Blues will be active at the trade deadline with the cap space created from Steen's retirement.
3: I'm in. I, I'm absolutely in, and I'm going. I'm basing it on, on this philosophy. I think some of that cap space, by the way, is going to get used well before that. Okay, but and, and I think you're going to have to. I, Alex, I just believe this. I, I, we know how hard it is to put yourself in a championship window, and the Blues are in one. I think you mortgage some of the future to stay within that window with more sure bets now. In other words, if you know you are better off knowing exactly what you are going to get from a guy, than go into too many games with too many question marks and unknowns. That's what the Cardinals have to do right now. Okay, they've got to go in with these question marks to see what they have. Seeing what you have in one player, like a Jordan Cairo, seeing what you have is one thing. But if you've got too many question marks. I don't think that that helps you and, and, and all that much, unless a lot of those question marks were to end positively. And history says they just don't. So I'm, I'm all for that. And I, I'm in on that one, that that space will get used if there's a deal to help the team.
2: I'm I'm out on it only because I don't think it's going to be at that trade deadline curbs. I feel like it's going to be before the season starts. You talked about it uh, Friday with us that look, you can't run this. You can't run this season on ifs and those ifs of is Jordan Kyra going to be a top six forward? If Sammy Blair is Zach Sanford can take over that role. Look, if Mike Hoffman is out there and is interested in playing in St. Louis and is interested in doing so, that's not going to handcuff you salary wise. I think you're better off making a move for that now rather than going into the trade deadline where if a team sees that the Blues need help offensively and they have the cap space, they might hold you at a King's ransom for a certain player, meaning you got to give up a draft pick or some type of position player to get what you want. So I'm out on it because I think they spend before the season starts rather than go to the trade deadline and decide to spend money. You know, there's another
3: aspect of of the trade deadline this year that is very intriguing. That is going to be is are there moves to be made or adjustments to be made that either protect you or get you an asset um, that you can use versus losing a player in the expansion draft, which is going yeah. to be this summer for Seattle. You know so having said that i will throw this one at you if you're doug armstrong are you more willing to let an ivan Barbashev be picked in the expansion draft or vince dunn
2: well that's a great question because vince dunn is an offensive producer defensively for you but has still needs some work on the defensive side which of course is a big stronghold for you but we saw it in the postseason and we saw it last year in the bubble curves if you don't have Ivan Barbashev that's an identity crisis for the Blues because he brings you that identity on that fourth line if it were me I would rather lose Vince Dunn than an Ivan Barbashev but I think Ivan Barbashev might cost you a little bit more money than what Vince Dunn will at least for the controllable side of the future so
3: I have not asked this question of Doug Armstrong I do know that his answer back when the expansion draft happened with Las Vegas was he was not willing to send McPhee a draft pick to not pick somebody because he figures I'm already going to lose a good player. And obviously that was David Perron, somebody he wanted on this team because he went back and re-signed him. Right. Right. But uh, he was not willing to do what Florida and some of the others did where you give up a guy like Marcia. and a first round pick, right? Right. like just, but I wonder if because of the window that the blues are in, and you want to protect a certain aspect of your roster to stay within a trend that you have right now, I wonder if that philosophy has changed at all where now you might be willing to to protect an aspect that keeps you in that window and keep some of the chemistry and what you have on your roster in place. I, I that's, it'll be a fascinating aspect of this summer.
2: That's one thing people are really going to have to keep a close eye on of what teams do for this uh, for the shortened season. He's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. Thank you to Tanner Hendrickson for hopping in there with us on in or out. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're going to cross things over with the fast lane next here on BK and Ferrario. Crossing things over now with the fast lane, the former St. Louis Blues superstar defenseman, Jamie Rivers. That's right, baby. Anytime we can throw that superstar out there, uh, we get the opportunity to. Hey, by the way, just to make sure people are listening, uh, we've been saying today Alexander Steen is addressing the media. It is tomorrow that Alexander Steen is addressing the media. I'm just making sure everyone stays on top of their toes. Uh, So uh, now we know. Nope, I screwed that up with you, buddy. Well, literally, I think everyone screwed that up. We saw the email, and we were I'm all just blame excited to hear from Steen. <laughs>
1: well,
2: I blame actually Tanner. That. <laughs> That's what we T- do, Jamie.
8: T-Bone, you, can't, well, you guys can't wow. just blame Tanner. Yeah, I, no,
3: I would. I would not we... do that. I, I wouldn't blame Tanner. I, I'm already disappointed in him that somehow he's saying he's a he's an L.A. Rams fan. That's the oh team he chose. I know. So I got an issue with that. But I wouldn't blame him on this one. This one, this one got past the goalie on all of us. <laughs>
5: Thanks, Curbs.
8: He's a hey. good young man. He'll learn, Curbs. Yeah. Now, he, come on, we try to take him under our wing, and hopefully, you know, when he matures a little bit, he'll figure it out. Hey,
5: I only graduated DJ. yesterday, technically. Hey, DJ, dirty elbows. will figure it all Thank you. out.
8: Hey,
2: Jamie, uh, Christmas came early for Curbs and I yesterday. I would imagine it came early for you as well, finding out January 13th is when hockey is officially back, man. Uh, I don't care that they're in the West.
8: I don't care that they may be playing at 930 at night. Honestly, I just want hockey back. Well, it's fine for me. I don't sleep very much anyway, so it's uh it fits right <laughs> into my true. wheelhouse. And in fact, at my house, the later it is, the better it is. That means the kids are all in bed. So if they wanna have some midnight starts for me and just fine. I know that'll be unpopular with some of the listeners. But no, to your point, Alex, yeah, hockey's back on and we all had a pretty good feeling this is the way it was gonna work out. But as we've seen before with well, we'll call it collective collective bargaining. Well, topics, anyways. Uh, Things can go sideways, but the NHL, again, to their credit, has done a great job of, one, we didn't really hear much about it. There were a couple of little rumblings here and there, but for the most part, we didn't hear about it until they had good news to tell us, and you know that coming out yesterday, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for the NHL to get going. The players are chomping at the bit to get back on the ice for real. And I know the Blues have a bone to pick with the rest of the NHL right now. They're not happy the way things ended for them last year.
3: Jamie, give everybody the idea or what it's like from an ice-level perspective when you're playing how, like Ryan O'Reilly says, it, it, he's glad he's in the West. When you're playing the, the what you know you're going to get in the consistent level and, and how well they play with Colorado, Vegas, in you know, teams like that versus, say, the unknown of the Central where there's Detroit and you don't necessarily know. You don't necessarily know with Florida, Chicago. Knowing your opponent as well as they do and knowing it's good hockey, they're actually looking forward to that and think that's better for them than the other way around.
8: Yeah, I was thinking about that myself and that the familiarity will be good for the Blues. Uh, there will be some days where they're a little sick of maybe a little longer flight back and forth. It happens. It'll happen It'll happen no matter where they go, even if the Blues had to go down to Tampa. It, it Listen, no matter how you slice it, this is going to be a unique season again for the NHL. And I do think that knowing the teams you're playing against more so than some of the unknowns, even even though you'd get to know them pretty quickly in a seven or eight game series throughout that season, this bodes well for the Blues. They're a big, heavy team. They like playing in that West division. and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
2: Yeah, well, we're excited for it, Jamie. We're also excited for the fast Fastlane coming up today from 2 to 6 o'clock. What do you guys
8: got today? Well, we got Anthony Stalter driving the bus, and that's always exciting on every level, that's for sure. Amen. Uh, but then we've got Darren Drager coming in, talking to us at 4.30 today. He's going to give us a little bit of an in, uh, some insight from a national, I guess international perspective, and <laughs> we're certainly going to pick his brain on what's going on up there in Canada. I know we have the, what we call the North Division now, but there's still some obstacles in the way for those guys, and You know what? We're going to celebrate hockey today. We're going to talk a lot about blues stuff and the schedule like you guys have. And we're going to have a lot of fun.
2: How about that the band is back together stalter and rivers on the fast lane today can't wait to listen to it from two to six o'clock curbs thanks for everything buddy great job filling in uh, for bk who will be back with us tomorrow if you missed anything on today's show you can check it out on the podcast which is brought to you by i promise 101 espn.com thank you to tanner hendrickson thank you to mike ryder i'm alex ferrario we'll be back with you tomorrow on bk and ferrario at 11 a.m here on your home for the blues 101 espn fast lane is next
0: You've been
6: listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise.